everybody and welcome to episode 553 of Conversation Street, where we're going to be talking about the episodes of Curry shown in the UK between the 12th and the 16th of December, and that is episodes 10,819 to 10,824. I'm Michael. I'm Gemma. And we are both still sick. You're sick, Gemma. You're sickly. Alright, I'm okay. You're alright. My voice is definitely better now than it was the other day. I'm not completely there yet. You're still feeling a bit poorly, but we're gonna we're gonna plow on through this podcast. We've got lots to talk about today, and I'm determined we're gonna get this precinct chat done in today's episode as well. Um, everybody, I hope that you have all voted in the Conversation Street Awards. Have you voted, Gemma? No, I haven't actually. No, we're not. We're not allowed to vote yet. We got to vote last. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Got to wait for everyone else to vote, and then we. Yeah. Thank you, everybody who has voted so far. So the awards um, launched on Wednesday night, I think, didn't they? Um, when we recorded that last episode. And uh, yeah, thank you, everybody who has voted, especially everybody who shared as well. Uh, get, getting the word out about the awards is really important. So, well, to me anyway, <laughs> it doesn't matter to anybody else. I, I quite like it. So, um, yeah, go go and retweet our tweets about it and, and post it on your stories and everything. Let's get lots of people voting for it because... I like to hear um, from as many people as possible about what 2022 has been like for Coronation Street. And you've got about a week or so until the polls close. Clothes? <coughs> close. And, and that's about it, really. You know how it works. We've done this 11 times now. Um, right. <coughs> oh, I was expecting to do this episode earlier this week, weren't you? Like, maybe Tuesday night. Yeah. But now we're not. Now we're not, because the football is still on, I believe. I, I haven't know. heard much about it recently. Apparently, once England's nice. aren't in the World Cup, nobody cares about it anymore. But France beat us on, on, <coughs> on Saturday night, and that means that Coronation Street is back to normal this week, and that it's not on the hub anymore. But it was a little bit confusing for us, wasn't it? Because we didn't realise this until we settled down on Monday night to actually watch it, and um, and it wasn't there. Did anybody else have that experience? Weird. And then And then Wednesday came, and we forgot it was on. Yeah, it it's like it took us two weeks to completely not know what the hell we're doing. So we 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 got, I got home from school on Wednesday, and I think did we did we record the um we recorded the award stuff first, and I was like right now. Let's oh, watch, we watch now, let's watch The Walking Dead or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and we got about <clears throat> half past eight, and I was like, oh yeah, Coronation Street was on tonight. <laughs> and I completely forgot about it. So yeah, well, like, like you said, it didn't take us long to get out of that routine all I care for a lifetime. About is, um, is the traitors. Traitors is still a thing in our house, we're still very much... Is it on tonight? No. I lose track of what day is it on. It's very good. If you haven't watched The Traitors here in the UK, you've got to watch it. It's I'm recommending it around to people, and you're the only people that listen to me anywhere near as much as anybody else does. Um, Gemma, what's, how's your week been? I've had a fine week, but I don't think anyone cares, but I think what we do care about, probably not at all actually, is the quiz. They definitely do, do care. Quiz. I would, yeah, I'll do a quiz if you don't want to have any general chit chat, that's fine with me. I know we're just trying to save our voices today. Things that happen between that. the 12th and the 16th of December and years ending in 2007, and I got this from coronationstreet.fandom.com. Question number one, 12th of December 2012, which two characters have a violent cat fight outside of Underworld? 2012? Ah. Uh, Was it Leanne and Carla? Yeah. Yes, and I remember that because I think that that might have been, if not the winner, definitely a nominee in our first ever conversation stream um, in the Eki Thump category, quite possibly. There you go. But I hadn't been thinking about it or anything, so I was quite glad that, that that sprung to my mind. Yes. 13th of December 2002, what does Angela 
confessed to Hayley Cropper. Who's oh Angela? Is this Angela Morton? Is that no Angela Harris? Sorry, mm-hmm. I was getting this family mixed up. <clears throat> um, I think she confesses that they're on the witness relocation program. Yeah, witness protection. Witness protection program. Yes. 13th of December, 2012. Who turns up at Yasmin's house after his wife kicked him out of their home? 2012? 17. Okay, I was going to say, has the Nazir's one in it? 2017. So somebody turns up at the Nazir's house after being kicked out of their own home. Um, I am going to say Sonia. Is it Sonia? Friend Sonia? It was Imran... Imran. And the clue was in when I said his wife kicked him out. Oh, I wasn't listening to the question. That was um that was very foolish of me. Oh well. How embarrassing. Was was this the first of, <coughs> no, this wasn't no, the first, first appearance. appearance of, yeah, he was wedding. at the wedding, wasn't he? But this is was this him back into the show proper five years ago this week. Fourteenth of December two thousand and twelve, Carla leaves Weatherfield, but Peter decides at the last moment to stay. Where was Carla headed? Um what date? Two thousand and twelve? Yeah. I'm going to say, she's probably going, LA or Devon, LA or Devon, uh, Devon. No. LA. Hull. Hull. No, it was LA. <coughs> was it LA? It was LA. Oh, all the, all the stars go to Hull. 14th of December, 2007, what job... <coughs> you don't have to pause for me to go off, just I keep do, going. Because people can't hear what I'm saying. What job news does David reveal to the Platts that enrages Sarah? He... Uh, oh. 2007. <coughs> he reveals to Sarah yeah and it enrages her it enrages Sarah that David's got this news about a job has he got a job in Milan working for his uncle Stephen yeah yay but he didn't go 15th of December 2002 why does Kevin sack Tommy after finding a wallet because it had a different surname in it said Nelson and it should have said Harris because that was his name I've got it had Harris in it but it it's all correct. The other way around. Okay. I was right when I said it. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have gone in here. They're Nelsons, aren't they? They were, they, they were originally no. Harris's and they turned into Nelsons. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Because when they when they revealed everything, they went back to the yeah. original name. Right. I still get a point. Harris family. I know. Are you, you're right, yeah. yeah. 16th of December, 2002. Final question. How did Stephen Karen ruin Vikram after returning from a holiday to Tenerife? How did how do they nice? How do they ruin him? Yeah, how do they ruin him? Um by saying Um You're a big drug smuggler. I'm gonna There's another clue in the in the in the question. How do they ruin Vikram after returning from a holiday to Tenerife? Well <clears throat> Um but they, I think I'm going to say that they were supposed to be smuggling drugs for him and they didn't. Mm. No? Not close enough? Half a mile. That's right. Benevolent to be full of the Christmas spirit. They find cocaine in the bags and oh, Steve the... empties it into a canal. Oh, yeah. I knew it was saying that. That's all right. That's all right. I'll take that. I'm sick. I don't know how we're going to make it through this podcast. I don't think we're going to do a very good job. We'll do that, but we've got to keep, we've got to do it. You want to know about birthdays? Yes. Who has got a birthday in the next week? Okay. Everybody, make sure that you have bought presents for anyone who hit... um, Some people might be dead, though, so check (laughs) first. 18th of December, director Mervyn Cummins. 21st of December, John Quayle, played Anthony Stevens. Malcolm Hebden, who played Norris Cole. Christabel Finch, who's Tracy Barlow the first. 
Nathaniel Brocklebank, who plays Millie, Millie Mayhew. Billy Mayhew. <laughs> 23rd of December, Noel Dyson, who played Ida Barlow. Lovely. Well, I've, I've bought presents birthday. to all of them, Gemma, but um, I did go into your purse to get the money. I hope you don't mind. I'm surprised you found any as well. <laughs> Is that it for our yeah. pre-podcast, for our pre-street talk preamble? <laughs> okay, um, let's let's talk about this. It's coronation street. I'm sorry to everyone in advance. Listen, if you hating this, we feel worse. But also, we just don't have. We can't. We don't have we time c- to edit. I'm so really sorry. No, so. It will, it'll, it'll be what it'll be. We just don't have, we don't have my the guarantee. resources to do the show like this and also edit it. No. But if you would like to help us, please become a patron. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, goodbye. No, not goodbye. It's not the end of the episode. No, see you later. See Street later. talk time. So, on to this week's street talk, man. And, yeah, so we were, we were watching it in proper real time this week. It's Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, I, it seems like... The reaction online wasn't so good for this week's Coronation Street, was it? No. At least the beginning of the week. A lot of people did not like the play stuff. No. But I, hey, I've enjoyed watching it day by day instead of all at once. Yeah, I I think I have as well. And, and I honestly, I didn't mind Monday and Wednesday's episodes. I, th- I thought tonight's was a little bit dull, but then I've seen other people saying tonight's was better. I don't know. It, to, to me, it just felt like, even though the play was a bit silly, and usually I'm one of the first people to to do a ride, anything like that, I thought that I quite appreciated the joyfulness of it, whereas tonight's um, was just a little bit more of a misery fest all round, wasn't it? But um, I don't know, it, we'll, we'll see as we as we get through all the stories what, what our thoughts were. But yeah, I, uh, I did like being able to not have to binge it and uh, long may that continue. We have got, um, we've got the summer storyline first, Gemma. Oh yes. But I think we're going to get a break from her, it feels like. Oh gosh, and she said, "Oh, I'm I'm leaving. Don't follow me." I was like, "Is this Christopher?" No, nobody's following you, Summer. Don't worry. Yeah, we're going. Yeah, we're going. To summer break. Um, I got I really, summer break. Well, do. that's what we are. I I had well, summer, I don't summer gate it. because it sounds like surrogate, but maybe summer break no. is better for the time being. I genuinely don't. I think she'll be back sooner than you think. I know. I think uh, it's going to be like out. it's going to be a matter of you know if if we if we don't see her. Before Christmas, I'll be actually quite surprised, but we'll she see. Be staying on the cultists' um, sofa. Um, we well, they did. Billy did say that <coughs> they haven't heard from her, but you know, maybe she's got herself lost because she's not that great at anything to do with real life. So um, we've got like so to finding her way to someone else's hands probably a bit beyond her. Ken Arjatois is gonna be our second storyline, the play storyline. And then Jamma Lumps a Daisy is yeah. the best I could come up with with this for this one. Daisy's got a lump in her boob. Oh and, I thought you were talking about Daniel. He has been a bit of a lump himself, hasn't he? Yeah. She needs a lumpectomy and I'm not talking about cancer <laughs> tie the knot is our tyrone of his wedding storyline oh that took me all of 10 seconds to think of then we've got the max dreamism storyline and then what's going on with simon this week it's like he's getting a bit of a storyline um we also had this week 
a bit of Coronation Street in the ad breaks, didn't we? We had yeah, a, yeah poor old um, Peggy and her sister in the Age UK advert. Um, so if anyone, you know, people that are not from the UK uh, who didn't see this or uh, people watching on the Hub or whatever, there's an advert playing at the moment and it went out first on Monday's episode of Coronation Street, which in a way is kind of, it was kind of sweet, but then it got a bit sad and miserable towards the end. It was about um, a woman just kind of narrating her lifelong love of Coronation Street that she always used to watch with. Was it a sister? I can't remember. It's been yeah. a few days that we've watched it now. And they like have clips of these two girls switching on to the black and white episodes in the 60s and then they're kind of growing up and, and we get to see all the different um, intro sequences to Coronation Street and they're watching it together. And then the, the last shot is, uh, is the old woman watching modern day Coronation Street looking a bit miserable. Going, go Tell you what, my sister's dead. She'd hate <laughs> to Peggy would be turning in her grave in the way that Coronation Street is at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, she, so she's saying, oh yeah, I've got to watch it on my own now. And, uh, well, it's, it's really so, sad. It, is, it was, it was I quite I look to well the future done. and I wonder, you know, yeah, what it's going to be like. What, when I'm dead? Well, I don't know who's going to die. Yeah, going to, oh, I have to do but a I'm podcast thinking, on her you own know, now. Well, This is kind of, like, I, I kind of think... We've heard people say the podcast helps them, you know, we're here, we can chat. Yeah, Peggy, Peggy, Peggy needs to listen. listen to Conversation Street, doesn't she? With I mean, Peggy I know it's not, it's not like we're volunteering down the soup kitchen or anything, but I do like to think that we fill a bit of time every now and then for people who would otherwise be listening to something like, I don't know, Duran Duran or Britney Spears <laughs> or whatever they... The youth like. Yeah, I don't think Peggy's into that sort of thing. I bet what she'd love the archers, like, yeah. to be honest. I don't know what kids like these days, not idea. Anyway, I, I did think it was quite nice to be done out first. It's all part of ITV's ongoing, you know, uh, commitment Charitable to health, me- mental health issues, and we're all more aware of how important that is as the years go on. So uh, if you know Peggy, set her up with a, with a account and slap on Conversation Street and you just leave her alone. Yeah, she's, she's just heartlessly fine. leave her in the dark with us playing. <laughs> um, she'll be fine. She'll love it. Might I invite you? Is that to... too flippant? No, it's fine. You can go on to Age <clears throat> UK. Just want to say, if you if you do um, want to help, there are lots of different options. They give you different ideas. Like, oh, do you want to do an hour a week or a, a week a month or whatever? However long you've got, <coughs> they've got an idea for how you can help. Um, with people who yeah. are uh, suffering. With... It does make me kind of wonder about like fashion forward, like 40, 50, 100 years or whatever, when it's, if it was just me or just you, like, would I carry on watching Coronation Street without you? Probably. Would you carry on watching Coronation Street without me? No. You'd drop it like it's hot, wouldn't you? Like, the I start, last time I'd start a podcast about um, aliens. <laughs> right, Gemma, I would like to invite you, please, to synopsize the summer storyline. <laughs> That's yeah. rude of you. Yeah, I've got a sore throat. I mean, it's the main so story. <laughs> <laughs> On Monday, um, Esther and Mike are... I wonder what their cult names are. <laughs> anyway, they're getting excited over the phone because Summer's getting her scan and she's trying to... She knows the baby's gone and she's trying to sort of set up the possibility that uh, there might be bad news. So yes. she's like, you prepare yourself. Is it a scan or is it a scam? Bit of both. Exactly. And, and they're like, no, we've got a really great feeling about this. And Summer and Aaron are like, how are we going to tell them about this baby? So Summer and Aaron tell Billy that they're going to go shopping. And he's like, oh, brilliant. I want to come too. And Aaron's like, no, you can't come. And Summer's like, oh my gosh, you've dropped us in it. And then Aaron's like, 
Because we're getting your present today. <coughs> what would you get Billy for Christmas? Um, self-respect. I'm gonna I'm gonna get him some hand cream. So when he's doing his hand wringing, oh, he yeah. can just squirt a little bit in there. And, and he rub uh, it in nice and yeah. He'd have the I'll most moisturised, the smoothest hands in Weatherfield, Billy, if you had some of that. beard lights. Beard lights? You know those little, um, little portable battery powered fairy lights you can weave into your beard. <laughs> anyway, now they've got to buy him a present. They didn't think this through. <laughs> they go around the market and Esther and Mike turn up. They're like, oh, we're going to take you to the hospital ourselves. We're so helpful. They're just like ready to pounce at any moment this week, aren't they, Esther and Mike? As soon as um, Summer and Aaron are out of the flat, they're there going, hello. Or later in the week, hello. Again, I I'm, I do feel sorry for Esther and Mike. They've got no idea that... This is the thing that annoys me about, Esther, about people and how they act about Esther and Mike. They've had no indication whatsoever that Summer and Aaron aren't also as thrilled as they are about this whole thing. They've got an unwanted baby, Esther and Mike want the baby. Yes, there's been a lot of weird glances, but someone's just generally shady as it is. How are they supposed <laughs> to work out that she's lying about the baby and not lying about all the other multitude of things that she's been fibbing about her whole life? I mean, like when they got out the baby scanner, the portable baby scanner, the home scanning listening kit last week, she was... She kind of freaked out a bit about that. They, they don't seem to notice, They don't do have they? very good ideas of boundaries. No. no. I agree with that, but I just can't get mad at people about being happy about a baby. I just think it's... Um, there's a lot of weird uh, preconceptions about parentage still hung up. I don't know. I just, I just feel... I just feel bad for them. They just want what everybody else has. And uh, someone's not the one that's going to give them... Give it to them, but they don't know this. Anyway, so they're like, let's take you to the hospital. Then they get there and Aaron and Summer are like, oh, you can't come in because of COVID. And um, they're like, oh, that's sad. Also, don't forget, I'm pretty sure. Oh, no, it's not yet, is it? No. <clears throat> so <laughs> they, get, uh, they go in and they just sit in the waiting room. They haven't got an appointment. They just sit there and they're like, oh, no, um, don't know how long to leave it before before we come out and tell them that the baby's died. Oh, yeah, um, that was the plan, wasn't it? Yeah. To make out that, that, that they have the scan and, come and out there's and no say, baby. Oh, bad news. So they're worried about it. Then the, then the nurse comes over and is like, oh, sorry, sorry to bother you, but you've been sitting here for ages. You, do you have an appointment? Because you haven't checked in. Then Mike turns up and he's like, hello, we're here for a prenatal um, appointment. <coughs> the nurse gives them directions. And Mike says, Esther's had a brilliant idea. Seeing as what it's going to be my name on the birth certificate, I should go in with you for the scan instead of Aaron. Um, and then and Aaron and, and some of the each other like, oh no, <laughs> didn't think of this. I feel I also feel bad. I just want to say I also feel bad for Aaron and Summer too because they're really young and they know they don't know what to do and they're kind of being pushed along here mm. by these two grown-ups who really are taking advantage of them. They are. We, we've kind of been riffing on Summer quite heavily recently, but you do have to remember, she's just come out of school. She's been she's just not... very, very academically gifted for the whole of her life and maybe hasn't had a whole lot of real-life experience. She's just well, been school, school, at... school and nothing else, and now she's thrown into the horrible real world of Weatherfield. It's, uh... You know, I, I don't want to disparage academically gifted children because I <coughs> I would have said that that was my definitely me when I was a kid. Mm. Not having very much life experience, but very, being very good at school and stuff. Summer's totally primed, like many kids of her type, 
to totally trust and believe everything adults tell her because yeah. everything's only ever been great news and brilliant for summer, yeah. you know? So when it, when two grown-ups come up to her and go, we've got a solution to your problems, it, it, nothing's prepared her in her life to be like, they're taking advantage of me here. It's understandable. It still doesn't make it fun <clears> to watch. It still doesn't make me just want to go, oh, summer. It doesn't make me like any of them anymore. No, but, yeah. It makes sense, though. So it, anyway, it does. just in the nick of time, as, as they're trying to work out how to dissuade Mike from going to this scan where... The thing <laughs> is, if they go in for this scan... Not that they've got an appointment, so I don't know how they get in there, and there's no baby. It's <laughs> yeah. just gonna Mike is gonna oh that you know. What? Well, I mean, doesn't wouldn't that just be like oh no, there's no baby? Well, yeah, no. The prob the problem was they didn't have a scan book, so they can't. No. So they're gonna look. Can you just pretend to give me a scan here because this I crazy know, this crazy guy thinks uh, that I'll get a baby in I'm me? I'm pretty sure sometimes you would get in. It depends on what the. Depends on what's going on in the department. Depends if it's a busy day in the hospital. Depends on if the nurses are on strike. <laughs> Just in the nick of time, Esther comes in. Thank God her mum's died. Thanks, Esther's mum. Dropped dead just at the right minute there. Mike leads her out and someone's like, oh God, now we can't tell them because they're upset now. They're upset about Esther's mum dying. So, so of course we're going to have to keep up the lie a bit longer. <laughs> perfect excuse. Uh, I'm sorry, but Carry that would, on this I would be like, well, here's a perfect opportunity. She can't get sadder than she is already. It's a perfect day to bury bad news. Yeah. Summer, you should have used that. I mean, she's very, she's, uh, Summer's being, trying to be nice, isn't she? But, oh dear, she's just making it worse day by day. So, uh, Aaron's not happy about this, but he's got no choice. Billy's worrying, um, see summer and uh they're supposed to be having korean later which i thought was interesting and so then they realize that they can't possibly have dinner anywhere other than speed dial and bistro so they cancel that pretty sharply well she says she's coming down with a cold so she can't go out for korean food i really want to go with them what are they having yeah Gemma's new thing this year is korean food i've, I've become a, an total expert on everything korean i've had korean food in a restaurant of the year. for about about three times so i know everything <laughs> there is to know <coughs> maybe they can have some nice spam stew maybe maybe summer and aaron go back to the flat and she can't believe he can't believe that summer's putting off telling the truth to esther and mike again but then he realizes that they've told Mike, that they're going to have the scan anyway. Now they need to produce a picture to show that show him of because, this baby. Because they're not saying the baby's dead yet. Why don't they ask Maria? Because she's got a picture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Of the fake one. Flashbacks of the Maria and Eva story from five years ago. <clears throat> so someone just finds one online, and she's like, "I'll just say it's, I'll just say it's this one." Dee Dee then starts to talk to Billy in the pub later and he's moaning about the fact that Summer doesn't need him anymore. I don't know why she's there to talk about this, but she is. It's integrating. Mike comes Getting back. Getting a bit of Bailey's. Bailey and Billy. Bailey's is. for Christmas. Everyone loves it. Mike comes around to the flat to see Summer and Aaron later. <coughs> and and Mike, Summer's like, here you go. Here's the picture. And he, he takes it and he looks at it. He's like, oh, how adorable. Then he starts to frown and then he's like, Hang on a minute. Just wait one kind of picking minute. (coughs) Why isn't it printed out? Wasn't there a name? Wasn't there a date? And I was like, oh, they're going to send us a hard copy later. (laughs) And then Mike looks at them like, are you lying? And then they're like, (laughs) ruh-roh. They admit that they're lying. And Mike's absolutely fuming. And he's like, how long have you been lying? How long are you going to string us along? You took our money after you knew that the baby was already... You already lost the baby. I want it back. I'm going to report you to the police. And Aaron's like, you're not going to report us to the police, are you? Because you can't buy babies in this country. It's illegal. 
And Mike says, well, we'll see what happens, won't we? You disgust me. And then he heads off and Summer's blubbering and, and sad. Standard. Oh, yeah, try as they might on Tuesday, on Wednesday, um, Aaron and Summer can't. They're, they're trying to work out how to give this money. The dinner sums, aren't they? They've got the calculator out and the, uh, the old number cruncher. And it's like, nope, 20 grand is a little bit too beyond our reach. Yeah, they, um, they, they've borrowed another 10 grand, which I, I didn't realise that they got two lots of 10 grand. Yeah, 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 two lots. But they, they don't, don't have the money to pay it back and um, they're trying to work out how they can how they can get it. I like, like for most people, it'll be, <coughs> how can I rustle up £500 or £1,000? It's like, oh, I can't quite do it. But it, it almost feels like, oh, we're nearly there at being able to do it. We just can't quite get down to the, to the round 20. Um, now, <clears throat> it's probably just worth um, raising the point that in the UK, surrogacy is not illegal, but they're... Uh, agreements surrounding surrogacy between parents and um, the, the 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 birthing parent and the potential parent. Um, there's no agree no agreement is ever enforceable, and you cannot pay somebody for a surrogacy. No. You can only supply them with reasonable expenses. So both parties here are, are there's there's no laws protecting them except for summer because as far as the government is concerned, you're just having a baby. Mm. And whatever happens following that is down to everybody to decide. So, actually, Mike and Esther don't really have a leg to stand on. No, here. no, not at all. But Summer and Aaron, I think they're so goody-goody and um, anxious about everything that they just don't get that they're not on the hook for this 20 grand. Mm. And also, I really wouldn't want to make enemies out of people. Well, Mike turned nasty, didn't he? I liked, when, I liked when, Mike Monday. turning nasty. I, I found, to be honest, this week has been the most exciting and interesting the summer story has been. Yeah. It, it still went off the board a bit on Friday, I thought, just because I didn't think Friday's episode was that, was that smashing. But as soon as Mike was looking at this photo and He's going, like, are you lying to me? Here? I was I'm like, oh, okay, this has got interesting. Yeah. I'm enjoying this now. I mean, I don't know why I'm more sympathetic towards Esther and Mike here. I'm not trying to be contrary, but if you're Mike, you're looking at this I, thinking... I am Mike. <laughs> you're thinking, right, my wife's mum's just died. All she's ever wanted is a baby. I've seen her lose children because that's that's what we're presuming here, that they've tried and tried. You yeah. don't know if they've ever got as far as having um, conceived and have a miscarriage, but you can imagine how a woman would feel constantly losing children and then her mum's died and then he realises that they've lied to him and took money after the baby's died. Mm. And I don't know how he managed to leave without giving him a good old slap. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? He's still on the high of the mother-in-law passing away. <laughs> oh, Michael. No, we're not winning any fans of this one, are we? Don't matter. We're horrible people. I don't know why you're listening to us, Peggy. What are you doing? Anything we say that cannot be taken in evidence because we're sick this week. Yeah, well, I've lost my filter. (laughs) I really have. So they're trying to find twenty grand. I mean, wow, maybe Aaron can be a model. Maybe he can star in the remake of Twilight. 
Yeah, you could go down Underworld, couldn't he? And Hilariously. Stick on some pants or something, you'd get a bit of cash for that. Some of his idea wasn't far off that, because she went to Colour and said, can I have a pay rise? And yeah. I was like, you're not even here half the time, no. That's so funny. <laughs> she just doesn't mean? get it. I've worked, my, I've worked at my company for nearly 20 years. I've never asked for a pay rise. I thought you had. No, I got okay. given one. Oh. Right, so uh, Paul, I only got given one ever, once. Mm. That was this year. Hooray for me. Well done. Thanks very much. Paul walks past and then um, he weighs and someone gets an idea. So she just oh, yeah. she's I've like, got oh, three I remember dads. now. I could leech off my dad's. I've got three of them after all, which is uh, 100, no, 100% more than... They're really how leaning many, into... What percentage what? is it more than normal people? I can't... I never work out how percentages work. They're making increase. they're making a bit of a <clears> meta <throat> thing about these three dads. I can't remember whether it was this week where Billy's telling somebody, oh yeah, she's got three dads. They're about, like, they really like the three dads thing, don't we're they? We're like two weeks out of recreating the hear no, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil monkey um, screenshot of them all just reacting <laughs> to something with slapping their face, <laughs> eyes and ears yeah. or whatever they're doing. So she she convenes the gay dads and she says, I'm going travelling. I would like you to loan me money. And they're like, how much do you want? And she says she wants 10 grand. Why stop there? You need 20 grand, love. What you what are you doing? <laughs> um, so they're like, uh, that's a bit that's a bit of a lot. You Let's need to put our heads together about this. So they go to the pub. I mean, that's no way to save 10 grand, is it? Billy thinks someone's been acting very strange. Billy, move into whatever um, accommodation Arch... Deacons are supposed to get save yourself some bloody rent money. He can't because it's a homeless place, isn't it, or something with a heat pump? Not living in the archdeaconry. <clears throat> How's the heat I pump still, doing? Like if three, if me, you, and like our third member of our marriage, whoever that's going to be, put our heads together, I still don't think we'd be able to get together ten grand to give to our uh, our pretend daughter. I know. Like how? How much money is Paul going to have for heaven's sake? He's not going to be able to contribute much to top up that ten grand fund, is he? Even Todd. Nobody's going to be able to give them that money, and the boat the most they could probably do is like, oh, I'll give you hundred pound a week or whatever. Yeah. They're not going to be able to come up with it. <clears throat> I'm always really intrigued. You're right when they have these things like, oh, we're going to have to have a discussion about how to come up with this money. What are you going to do? Root around, root around the toilet. See if it comes out. Could have to pass the collection plate around three times this week, Billy. Yeah. Well, it's Christmas time. People are more generous. Oh yeah. So, but Billy's like she's been actually really weird. Do you think summer recently? We need to make sure that this money is actually for travelling and not just for drugs or whatever. What What are the kids into these days? I've already told you. I've got no idea. Meta. Roblox. She's signing up for Meta. <laughs> so they gathered again in the flat, and they're like, "Are you in some kind of trouble?" And she says, look, I've had a rubbish year. I'm struggling. I want to get away. I want to see the new worlds. I want to see new people. And Billy says, we'll see what we can do about the money. Aaron and Summer step out of the flat. <clears throat> and Esther and Mike are there. And Esther's like, look. Yeah, I told you. They're just ready to bounce. I know. It's very, it's very weird that they're always just there. Do you think people in Coronation Street are like phoning Craig going, look, I know that you're not a real policeman. Um, but this couple was very suspicious, and they keep hanging around. This is just the Christmas market. It's just got <laughs> it's just got irresistible bargains there. Um, Maybe that's why Craig was so quick to um, stop that van nicker in today's episode because he was staking out the market just in case Esther and Mike turned he's like, up I'm again. I'm getting one of those pretzel dogs. <laughs> so um, he doesn't Esther eat and... that kind of stuff anymore, Gemma. Esther and Mike, you can fit anything in if you've got a good diet plan. Esther and Mike jump out. And Esther's like, I'm really sad about my mum. Give me a baby. 
also sad about the fact that Summer has lied. Well, they say, look, why don't you, why, why don't we try again, but with Mike as the donor? <coughs> so this time we would actually be a proper surrogate. We'll write off all the money. You don't have to owe us anything. And, but just give us the baby. And Aaron's like, no, this is crazy. And someone's like, actually, um, what? how far through are we with this episode? I might say yes. So. I usually make at least one stupid decision every episode in Coronation this Street. Could be the, but, this you know, could be we haven't out. even reached the second break yet, so I don't <clears> know whether I want to blow my load right now. Aaron, well, that's what Mike wants to do. <laughs> Aaron's like, right, get out. And someone says, no, I think this is, this is the good idea. They're back at the flat at this point. And um, I was like, I can't believe this. And they're all arguing. And then Amy walks in. This point, Mike and Esther have left them with this, this idea. And they tell her what's happening. And Amy says, this is really dumb. And someone says, nothing to do with you. You can you can keep your mouth shut. I love, I love how Amy is the voice of reason in this. She's the one that's kind of been on the fringes of the stories all along. And she can just, like I say. I like this. Why are you being so stupid, Summer? I like the way that so I would want to Amy's say like, you're the smart one. Look, as far as I've worked out, I'm the one still in higher education and I'm not the one hiring my uterus out to random cultists. They're not cultists, not officially yet. Not officially. Um, still, still <clears throat> we possible. really have no idea if that's where this storyline is going, but I bloody hope it is. It'd be hilarious. <laughs> so they go to, somebody goes to the pub, Billy finds her there, he wants to talk, she says, no, I don't want to. He says, I know everything. And you should be ashamed of yourself. Oh yeah, this is a bit of a twist, wasn't it? Billy You're coming in. selling your baby. Because when he said, when he came in and said, I know everything, I was like thinking, no, you what, don't. What, what does he know? What does he think he knows? This is just a fake out. It's like, oh no, he really does know everything that's happened. He's been reading up on a, he's been, he's been catching up on Conversation Street, so he knows what's happening now. He's like, I signed myself up to the Coronation Street um, press releases and I looked ahead to what week this is and I've looked into this and you're selling your baby and she's like, don't tell me what to do. I'm old enough to make my own decisions. And he says, look, I wouldn't, um, you can't do this. She says, yes, I can. And then she stands up for herself, which was actually quite fun, even though she's doing it for, I don't know. I kind of support her here, actually. Um, I'm going to, I'm going completely against the grain here. I, I think, do it. No, it's Why? ridiculous. She's poor bloody Aaron. I've been on. <clears throat> I've been feeling bad for Aaron for the past few weeks, and yet again, Summer's showing him absolutely zero consideration. He's clearly not happy with this. No, she supposedly like loves him, and she's ju- and she's just agreeing to do whatever it is that Esther and Mike want, just to okay. duplicate them. I know, but we're coming at this from very different perspectives here because. <clears throat> I re- I remember a point when I when when we were younger and I was looking at like you could you could sell your eggs. Remember me? I, I do like, remember you talking I was about like, selling I could your sell eggs. my eggs, and you were like, no, you're not selling. I your very eggs. much remember having that conversation. <laughs> you were like, no, it wasn't really a serious conversation, was it? I was I, just like, you, <laughs> I said, Michael, you can get like five grand an egg. And you were like, well, you can't. <laughs> yeah. And it's your no, it's your body and. and <laughs> And, 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 and was this wasn't my... so far in the past. Oh, we were married my... and everything when we were having this conversation. Nobody and, wants my dusty and, and Aaron and Summer have only just been going out, so you know he's not got any you know right over her body whatsoever. But the fact that she just completely doesn't have any consideration for what he thinks about it. Okay, but I need to like, stand up for women's rights. Here. Dump Men her have ass, been Aaron. telling Get women. Men have been telling women what to do with our bodies for long enough now. It's time for her to make her own decision. 
the thing that's missing from this equation is why does Summer want to do this? We don't know why Summer wants to do this. She has been absolved of her... We do, is because she well, wants she, to she get thinks... more money for Eric because she's such a bloody goody too. I don't believe that. It's not, not compelling enough for me. I, I, I'm really intrigued at, at this. I really am. And there are lots of missing aspects to this that aren't being raised. Like, for example... The fact that she's not selling her eggs, she's selling her uterus, and she's selling half of her. It is, it's womb for rent. She's selling one of her, and and surrogacy is an incredibly complicated, controversial, and evocative uh, topic. But there are considerations that are have to be discussed that nobody's bringing up to Summer. No, like, because again, she has lived a very sheltered life. Well, nobody's saying to her, Summer, it's not just. It's not just a montage of you with a big tummy rubbing it and rubbing your back and going, oof, I want pickles and ice cream. That's what me, my generation of women, were raised with. Like, oh, it's a funny montage of you being slightly fat for nine months and eating pickles and ice cream. Mm. And then you scream in a bed for five minutes and then the babies appeared. Like, it's no, a lot more to it than that. You're a soap character, Summer. You're probably going to lose it. Or maybe you'll give birth in... Here's if you're lucky, peril. you'll give birth in a, 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 an awkward place. Quite possibly, because it's a surrogacy storyline, Mike's going to come on to you at some point. Yep. And there's, you know, at least a 75% chance that after you've had this baby, you're going to decide you want to keep it. Just for also, the drama. don't forget, as a young mother, hmm? you're in a perilous situation for being killed off early. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know I keep harping on. Go ahead on. with it, Summer. I really keep harping on about the physical impact that pregnancy has on women, but I really don't think that Coronation Street's ever talked about it properly. Not and from what you tell me. I really don't understand why there's this weird conspiracy of silence about, about it, but I think it's weird. Anyway, <clears throat> she gets she tells Billy where to go. And I totally support her decision to, to decide what she wants to do with her body, but... I wouldn't say that this is po- probably the best move. <coughs> I did. I was glad that she stood up to Billy. Yeah. Because, she needs I mean, to have proper informed consent. She doesn't have that, does she? No. And she's being coerced, which is also incredibly wrong. So from that perspective, no. But when I, I just get my goat up with you saying and Billy saying and Aaron saying, oh, it's, I don't really want you to do this. It's like, well, sorry, but who, whose cooch is going to be split open, mine or yours? Hopefully, hopefully yours. Well, if if Aaron's if Aaron's gets split open, then it's something's gone wrong. <laughs> I think we're an alien instead of uh, Coronation Street. Right, so she gets back home and she has to go at Amy because she thinks that Amy's the one that told Billy that she was planning on going ahead with the surrogacy, but it turns out it was actually Aaron. What? And he says he had no choice. Some. Uh, Good for you, Aaron. You've actually grown a bit. You've stood up for yourself. Right, You've he, told somebody. No, well done. Hang on a minute. He hasn't explained what his... I understand. It, they, but Coronation Street seems to think it goes without saying. And it doesn't. What? Why is he such... Why does he not want this to happen? I think he can see that she's just... She's she's young. She, she He doesn't want her to be pregnant... There's a sinister undertone. Look, I just want to say this, because I think some people probably think the same thing as this, and I don't want to accuse anybody of anything, but there's a sinister undertone here of ownership that Aaron seems to think he has over Summer's body just because they're dating. He doesn't own her body, and she can decide what to do with it. He needs to articulate 
more clearly what the problem is. Otherwise, I'm just going to think that he thinks he doesn't want the inconvenience of his girlfriend being pregnant without just, with not giving birth to his I baby. I think it goes without saying <laughs> that when you're a young couple like that, or probably of any age, to be honest, <laughs> you don't want your girlfriend to be knocked up by some other guy. Oh, here we go. This is so... <laughs> <laughs> It's not that, is it? Well, that's how that's we a, see but it. But I think, honestly, that's a, this is this, this to me is just one of the quintessential human like conversations that is so com- so complex, so nuanced. Every situation is going to be completely different. Every couple is going to have a, a different reason for for what they what they think and why they think it. But I just don't. I just think that they they're not articulating their specific reasons here why specifically does someone want to do this why specifically does Aaron not want her to do it I think you think it goes without saying but I would like to see a bit more I think the thing is Carnation Street knows if Aaron really says what he's thinking well you just said it just sounds really obnoxious (laughs) and wrong and I don't think that you're um unusual I think that most men have the same kind of idea about about that it's not fun for anybody (laughs) when um, a woman's pregnant in a relationship. <coughs> but when the baby's born and you can't, you, you know, all, all the trouble that you've gone to and then the baby isn't, you don't even get to keep the baby. Mm. I mean, he, he could also be worrying that she would decide she wants to keep well, the she baby. Does, and she then does actually, he does I've actually got, say at one point... Does that, he? I can't remember. Hang on, no, he says that he's worried about her diabetes, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, but if he, if I, if I, you know, if he thinks that what's the, if, if she decides she wants to keep the baby, does that mean that I need to have to raise this guy's baby? Or yeah, that's a good point. Why doesn't he say this? I don't. Do you know. see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I do. And I'm I not do. saying. I'm not saying. You're I know wrong. you see what I'm saying as well. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying someone's wrong or Aaron's wrong or whatever. I'm just saying there's a lot more to this, <laughs> and there's a lot of weird stuff that. I'm sure people are listening to, to, to both of us talking about this and they think I'm balmy or they think you're balmy. Probably. But I don't think anyone's wrong. I just think that this is the sort of situation where it's such a morally weird grey area that you can't say that 100% that this is the right choice or this is the wrong choice. But it's it's um very very sad for Summer and Aaron that Mike and Esther have put, this in this situ- put them in this situation but they're facing such a really weird, unusual, hard moral decision to make. And they're, are they even 20? I don't even know. No, no, it's no. tragic. Summer's only just turned 18 last summer, hasn't well, she? Well, nice, healthy, good, good young uterus there. Nice it chromosomes. Does, I do, but I'm like wondering why... Why do they want her baby so specifically? Is it literally just because they were looking for, you know, a miracle to happen and yes. they were praying and then someone came along? I honestly, think, along. So honestly think, think that's it. I don't... Or is there something, is there something more <coughs> sinister about it? I'm still kind of going around this whole culty thing, which I know is not going to happen, but I can't get it out of my head. Like, is there something about the Spellman DNA that's that they need to get their hands on? Or are they going to sacrifice it at the altar? Or I don't know. It's just like... There are plenty of other ways that you can go about getting a baby without yeah, hounding well, one specific they, particular girl. I know. And and again, I've said this before about a million times, but it's not just about the story, but it's about who you are and where you are in your life when you, when you consume the story. And we are both at particular points in our life. Things, certain things have happened and not happened. We don't have any children. We've got a cat. 
We've got a cat, which I am sorry, was, did not birth myself. It was a surrogate. <laughs> <laughs> so our, our perspective... You when she was three. <laughs> our perspective of foster, foster child. Our perspective is different from somebody who is mm. a mum, who is a biological mum. Somebody different who adopted a child. Somebody different who has had miscarriages, tried for a child, never had one. Everyone's going to have a slightly different approach to this. And I, I don't think anyone's right or wrong. But um, one thing that uh, I want to Coronation Street, what I think Coronation Street is good at, is sort of show, showing perspectives, different people, and let and let's talk about it sensibly and nicely together, and try to come to understand each other's perspective. Which is why I'm kind of a bit disappointed that I'm not really getting articulated very clearly mm. the the perspectives of all the different people, it's, because it's not really. It's a major storyline, but there are so many characters involved that we're not really, we're only really getting broad brushstrokes of, yeah. you know, I'm Billy, I don't want you to throw your life away. <sighs> okay, yes, it makes sense. I mean, I can, I can, ima- I can fill in the blanks, but I don't really want to fill the blanks in. I want them to have a really big, meaty, sobby conversation about this. The same with Aaron and Summer. The same with Esther and Mike. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I feel yeah. like I'm getting, uh, like you know, a Monet where everything's just like slapped all over the place and I'm standing, you know, I want to see the whole thing. Yeah, a, a nice proper big dialogue heavy sort of scene probably wouldn't go amiss here. You're right. Yeah, I don't know. I think, but again, other people are going to get something different out of this. <sighs> Let's carry on. We've, I am we've... really enjoying the, the dilemma. Uh, yeah, I, like I said, so... this, this is the best this story has been. Uh, Aaron's, Aaron's like, sorry, I didn't have any choice. I had to tell Billy what you were up to because I don't want you to do it. Summer says, I'll never better trust you. He says, don't break up with me. She says, I don't know if I want to, but I don't want to spend any time with you. And she cries and he leaves. <sighs> On Friday, Summer's getting stressed in the, in the cafe. <laughs> it's Bernie's offering to, to uh, what's... Oh yeah, to Fine. use the divining rods on the purple teas. This is why I was disappointed <laughs> that Bernie didn't take these children to task last week or whenever it was about the Ouija board because she knows how to set one up properly and that was not <laughs> correct. So um, Billy come and Aaron come in, she leaves, so they look for her and they spend the whole the whole episode looking for her. Yeah. Which I kind of missed. I didn't realise that she, I hadn't seen her since the beginning of the episode. No, no, she, she does. He, she's there in the middle. He finds her for a bit and then she goes Billy off Billy and Aaron again. look for her. Then they then they go to the flat and Billy's like, we've got to stop her from doing this. I think I think Billy's just convinced that she doesn't realise that she's being taken advantage of. And if he, if he genuinely thought that this is what she actually wanted, then I think he might be a bit more mm. supportive. I don't know. And if I was Summer... <coughs> here's a here's a thought Summer just turned 18 and this isn't necessarily what she thinks but from a story perspective you could say something like you know I'm 18 I got my letter from my dad and I I've lived without him for all these years but it made me think about my dad and how although he's not here anymore I'm still connected to him my genes and I was thinking you know he died young I don't know how long I'm going to live. I've got diabetes and I keep fainting all the time. I, you know, I could be to die tomorrow. Mm. <laughs> I'm joking, obviously, because she's so dramatic. She is very dramatic. Um, what, she hasn't what, had a good fall for a while, she actually. She's due a good tumble. What if she was thinking, I want to leave a legacy. I want to, I want my dad to live on. I want my genes to continue in this world. But I don't know if I'm 
if I can do it myself. I, I think Esther and Mike are brilliant and maybe I do want a kid, but I don't want to raise it myself. She doesn't She doesn't know what she's doing. No, I know. Doing. Maybe that's just me talking. No, you're right. I'd, lo- she, I'd love somebody else to She's just got an awful lot of drama going around her. She doesn't know what to do. She's not really thinking. She's just reacting to things and, and trying like, to do the best also, for nobody, everybody. But nobody's giving her a chance, are they? Billy, Aaron and Esther and Mike, none of them are letting her have a, have a chance to think. Mm. Esther and Mike are going... Baby, 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 baby. Aaron and Billy are going, no, 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 no. Does she even know? All she knows is, in, she only knows how to react to what people are saying to her. She doesn't mm. know what she actually thinks. She hasn't been given a chance. Yeah. I, I'd maybe find a scene with, I suppose we had a little bit of her and Amy, and Amy's more on the, no, don't do it side, you crazy. Well, she's but, had a, she had a yeah. pregnancy that she didn't keep. So maybe like her and Jacob, because he was seeming to get a bit close to her a few weeks ago, wasn't he? And kind of being a friend to her. And he's like the chillest out of everybody in this storyline. And he's, I know he's only tangentially re, like linked to it, but maybe he would be a good sounding board for her problems, do you think? I'm not into Jacob at the moment. You're not into Jacob. I know you're not into Jacob at the moment, but I I think that he might be able to offer some um, unbiased words of wisdom to Summer in this this predicament she's got herself into. So it's drama. This is fictional. We all just need to remember. (coughs) This is fictional. So um, Billy summons Esther and Mike to the flat to tell them and threaten them with the police and say, you're taking advantage of Summer, she will not be your surrogate. And they said to her, it's none of your business, actually. This is God's will. Which I thought was quite nice. Because Billy's like, damn. I no, he to, says, he I, says, I, I think him. I know whose side God would be on this one, actually. And God's like, I don't know, I've got a lot of begats in the Bible. God's like, don't make me take sides here, guys. You sort it out yourself. I love a bit of begatting. That's me. <laughs> Billy strolls up to Summer at the market, there you go, and she says, right, he says to her, I'm going to report Mike and Esther to the police because, as Gemma told you in the podcast earlier, surrogacy is not an enforceable agreement and you can't force people to have a baby for you and you can't pay them because it's rude. And she says, if you go to the police, I'm never going to talk to you again. And I'm going to... Um, and for once on Coronation Street, it's not an empty threat. Um, so Paul stops Billy at the police station door and he says, don't do this. Um, if you do this, you, I, 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 I kind of missed his argument, but he was like saying, don't do this. If you get them, well, then, then, then they're going to spread all the muck about summer and just well, going to make up like, that she's the villain. I and... don't know. Just don't do, just don't do it really. I mean, honestly, if you've got enough problems at the moment, people are stealing knicker vans. I don't know. There's definitely something to be said about vulnerable women being coerced into reproductive, <coughs> you know, situations that they don't fully understand. That I cannot get behind that at all. Mm. But equally, Billy can shut up. So I'm, I'm, I'm just <laughs> a dilemma. Yeah. Uh, night falls. Billy's looking sadly on the street. Didn't report them after all. Paul says you did the right thing. Someone's going to come around. Aaron calls Billy and Paul to the flat because they don't know where Summer is. She's left a note. She says, I'd go on and I don't want anyone to look for me. Aaron says, it's all my fault. And we, you, you, it's your fault too. You judged her and you didn't support her. Yeah, we've all driven her away with our controlling male... <coughs> maleness. Maleness. Men. <laughs> Men will ruin the planet. Why can't, didn't we just let women do the things thing, themselves? Okay, right, just like one, they want. one thing I just want to say is that 
surrogacy, like I said before, is controversial. Some people consider it to be completely wrong in all of all situations, ever, ever, ever. And I understand that perspective. But um, certainly, lots of people can understand the selfless act of carrying a child for other people to give them the joy of of their of having a child which is in some way or not biologically related to them right mm. i know but i just think that this that we're in danger of demonizing the whole idea of of surrogacy when yes it can be very difficult and hard for the women women but it's not inherently wrong. No, I've got it? no, absolutely not. I've got no problem with it whatsoever. But it's just and the, I've said a lot this of things, particular one is very, very shady. I've said a lot of things about pregnancy and about how difficult it is. But I also know that some women in, in love being pregnant and they have very minimal issues with the birth and the pregnancy and they don't find that it's um, an incredible uh, sacrifice. In fact, they enjoy the process and they love the fact that they're able to bring new life into the world and they know that somebody's going to look after if it. If someone was going into the world of, summer, of surrogacy because of all those <laughs> things because of all those things you just said then fine go ahead with it. It's brilliant but the fact is that she's been backed into a corner and she's been almost forced never, into ever, this. ever 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 be carrying a baby for somebody because you owe them money. No, that's what it was. She owes them money and she also wants no. to help out Eric. Well, I think she'll find that if Eric she goes through with bent. this, then she's not. Ever, Aaron's not going to be hanging around with her anyway. So can I also just say I just want a tiny bit of blame here goes to Aaron for what his. Um, I know. I'm sorry. Not standing really, up to really her bad. sooner. No, this is really bad to say, but his dad's abusive and he's letting his, his girlfriend have a <coughs> self-bear baby. To, I just, oh, come on. Are we, we going to judge Summer, but not Aaron? There's a lot of judgment going on here in this story for different different people, not just us, judging Summer for her choices. Aaron's just standing there like, why doesn't he just say, my dad's not worth this? Well, you know what Billy and Esther and Mike would say about that? Only God will judge us. Only God us. can decide. Mm. Well, we can. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, of course. A little bit, a little bit of perspective. I don't know. Lots of people are being very silly in this storyline. It is all just silliness, isn't it? Yes. What do you guys think? Would you just politely tell us if you disagree? <laughs> it's fine to have a disagreement, but I want to know what. What do you think? I I don't know. I don't know. I'm saying lots of different things there, and then I change my mind immediately that I say that I say it. I also I felt a little a bit sorry opinion. for Mike and Esther during this as well, which I didn't know whether he was supposed to. But when he kind of went nuts <clears throat> uh, um, on Monday, which was that brilliant scene where he realizes that he, she's been lying to him all this time, I thought, well, yeah. You tell her that she's being a cow. She, You thought that you were getting a baby out of her. She's been lying to you for weeks now. You've got every right to be angry yeah. at her. A tiny bit of you would, would know that you're doing something wrong, but the biological urge to, to have a baby is just incredible. And Esther and Mike, they... Are... I don't know whether you they think argue, they're doing anything wrong yeah, anyway you, if they're doing it for you know for, for these religious um, beliefs. But you can also argue that they genuinely, whether or not you think that there's a bit of them that, that knew this was wrong, you can still argue that somebody would genuinely think, hey, listen, you don't want to have an abortion. You've got a baby that you don't want. I want a baby. This could work out. 
Mm. You need money, I'll give it to you. You yeah, what that do you is want? how it's it started a lot more innocently than it's become, hasn't but it? This is what this is kind of the lesson, That's isn't it? Soap for you. The lesson of the story is that it's a lot more complicated, mm. and I don't feel qualified to talk about this at all. But we've just spent forty minutes talking about it, so yeah. I I wonder what's going to happen with Summer now. Now we know at the end of the episode she hasn't made her way to Esther and Mike's, according to Billy, but it wouldn't surprise me if she does go over there. But if they do ensnare her in, then I feel sorry for her because they're going to massively take advantage of her guilt and vulnerability, aren't they? So, um, so for her own good, I hope that it is Billy and Aaron or probably Paul or somebody that's a bit more level-headed in this whole situation that they're the ones that find her. But leave it for a little while, guys, okay? Did you see that um, artificial womb that they invented that they can grow lamb lamb fetuses in? Oh, there we go, that's what they need. It's like a big sack... And um, I don't think that you can conceive a child in, in this fake... It's de- definitely not humans. As I, well, I heard that you can conceive a child what... in the sack. That's <laughs> where knows... it most often happens. <laughs> who knows what is going on in sinister laboratories around the world, but as far as I know, it's only been done with lambs. So the lamb fetus... Mm. So it's already it's been, you know, it's grown into something that you can pick up. I don't know. But you put it in this kind of like Ziploc bag and you connect it to all this stuff and it grows it's into like a, like a boil in the bag rice. It's a boil in the bag lamb. Boil <laughs> in the bag paper. Do you think you can put seasoning? I know who knows what's going on in Sinister Labs. Do Ra- you? Rachel. No, we can't talk about that. Not allowed to talk about our friend Rachel that's got a top secret job. Not at all. Anyway, so that's probably the most animated we've ever talked about this particular story. So it well, sounds like they're doing something been, right. This is probably the first time we've both had a strong opinion about how what somebody should do. Yeah. And you're taking the man side, predictable. <laughs> <laughs> I just... The thing that's kind of grating on me a little bit here is that the men... Summer. Listen, the men are telling someone what to do with her own body... But they're a bit right. <laughs> you know it, Gemma. They and are. It's really annoying me because she should just be able to decide. But she's not. She's not. She's being coerced. It's reproductive coercion. <laughs> but let's uh, let's put done? this to one side. Oh my god. Let Let's take a more light-hearted storyline for a bit. The Kenage à toi. This is a very honestly. I know that this is a very very touchy subject, and a lot of people have very very strong opinions. I just hope that if anything we said you don't agree with. Please write in and tell us, um, and we'll read it out. But just don't be, be nice. don't be horrible to us and give us a one star review just for anything we, we just said in the past half an hour. Right, Ken, what's he been up to this week? So I tell you what he's been doing: trying to conceive a baby for <laughs> for Esther and Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think that ship sailed. Yeah, all the way to Hull. All the way to Hull. So Martha tells Ken at the beginning of Monday's episode. That um, <clears throat> you know that play script that he worked on for her was it last week, the week before maybe? Well, already it's a hit, and a theatre in Hull has agreed to put on her show, and Ken's thrilled for her, and he's like, "Oh, I'd love to go and see that," and she's like, "Things move fast in the world of Hull theatre. The rehearsals start tomorrow." And sadly, I'm going to miss your play. And I don't really get what happened with that because she doesn't miss the play. But anyway, maybe they said something and I didn't get it. But anyway, he she says... She rejigs it, doesn't she? Because does she, she ends up taking a part in the play. Yeah, she says all the actors are going to miss miss you. And she's like, oh, you're going to miss me the most. So she, this is this kind of the start. Well, it had been going on already a little bit. But she has decided that she'd quite fancy Ken coming to Hull with her um, and, and being her, being a little play buddy. So... Um, 
Wendy notices later on that Ken's looking a bit down in the dumps in the pub later and she reckons he's just nervous about the play but obviously he's kind of pining the, the, the loss of Martha as she goes off to uh, swans out of his life once more. Brian comes in and says that Nigel wants to meet up everyone together ahead of tomorrow's opening night and he also totally drops Ken in with, with Wendy by saying oh yeah so this experimental theatre show we went to last week you really hung around with Martha for quite a while after that didn't <clears> you and and um, it turns out that Wendy was trying to phone Ken he was ignoring her and Ken's just like shut up but Brian is you know I would say quite rightfully trying to tell Ken you can't string two birds along at once you can't string two birds how did that stone. turn out with Imran hmm? Hmm. dead dead hmm. at the community centre later where see this is the other thing I think that confused me about the play suddenly this week other actors appeared and as the play rehearsals were going on I was thinking surely there's more than two or three characters in this play and then we never saw anyone other than the main <laughs> characters in the rehearsals I thought maybe it is just a, you know a, a three-man show or something and then today there are a load of background people, so I've got no idea about it. Anyway, Brian says, sorry to Ken for dropping you in it, but you've clearly got the hots for Martha. And Ken's like, well, it is true, I am a bit torn between her and Wendy. Martha, she's just so exhilarating. <laughs> Should I go with my head or my heart? Or so, my trousers. Oh, yeah, it goes with his trousers, doesn't he? Yeah. Point whichever direction it points. So... <laughs> Ken finds Martha in the pub later and she basically just says, look, come to Hull with me. I haven't got time for pussyfooting around this. I want you next to me in my new house. And she says, yeah, she says, come with me, Ken, come with me to Hull. And it's kind of funny, isn't it? Because Hull's got a bit of a reputation in this country. Is it? Well, I, I just thought it was funny because it sounds like hell. No, I think that Hull's hell? supposed to be a bit of a boring town and yeah. apologies to anyone from Hull. <laughs> One of my colleagues Sweden? at work is from Hull. And, uh, and last week we were at that um, Paul Heaton gig, weren't we? And he is from Hull, I believe, or thereabouts. But um, I think it's because of um, there was a line in a Blackadder episode where he's talking about um, the great universities and then drops Hull in there as a bit of a joke about like, who <clears> would think that. But no, I think that Hull's just supposed to be a bit of a dull play. I've never been there. It's probably lovely. But um, that, that's where that all if comes from. If you visit from. Hull, you can get free Christmas parking and a £5 group bus. You Google in Hull, are you? And there is a, um, to help you with the cost of uh, living this Christmas, but also the road is closed and the police are on scene after a serious incident in North Hull. Well, there we go. So and we'll go there. there's also a police appeal because a girl was pushed into an icy lake. So it's not <gasps> I hope it wasn't dull. Martha Fraser. It's not all dull around Hull. <laughs> that's the thing, isn't it? Hull rhymes with dull and there's only so much you can do with that. So um, here's another story from the whole daily, the whole daily mail. Hull has been branded one of Britain's rudest cities by Jack Bowman. Rude in what sense? Because they're doing oh experimental naked theatre. Uh, no, apparently it's the second rudest city in in the country outside of Bristol, and um, I'm not sure if this is true. Bristol. Uh, do you want to hear the top three? Yeah. Bristol. Hull and Coventry. Coventry is the third. <coughs> My hometown of Coventry. Well. One woman told me. I'm it lovely. depends really. If you're out shopping and you see someone you know, but they can be busy, they might not, you might not go up to them and say hi, like you might have done 10 years ago. Well, this isn't a poll. But listen. <coughs> the main picture to illustrate the story is Ronnie Pickering. 
<laughs> Who's he? Ronnie <laughs> Finger, isn't it? Bloody how's that? If you don't know who we're talking about, I'm sorry, but is he from Hull? Straight, I don't know. It didn't even explain why there's a picture okay. of Ronnie Pickering. Go to YouTube, write in Ronnie Pickering, and in, prepare to enjoy yourself, but don't do it. Okay, work. okay. So maybe that's who Martha's going to date next. <laughs> a bit of a come down from Ken Barlow. Um, isn't he's, it? What do you mean? He's incredibly famous. <laughs> Martha tells you ain't got an OBE though. Martha tells Ken that she needs an answer by the end of the day. She can't be messed around with again like last time. And she goes, also, Blow, blows him a kiss. It's Hull. You've got a book ahead. Yeah, it's highly <laughs> sought after accommodation in Hull. Brian comes and joins him and says, "Look, you need to be true to your heart here. Once you hitch your heart to Martha's wagon, there's no turning back." Do you need to drink? And Ken says, no, "I'm fine. I'll be all right." Ken says, "No, Wendy is the one that I want to be with," but then. He later on meets up with Wendy in the pub later, and they've got there's a good bit of musical atmosphere going on here because they're um the the jukebox is playing. It must have been love, but, but it's, it's over now. That's my Glenda impression because I think this is the first time we yes. actually see Glenda having a bit of a sing first song. First time in we've the heard pub. Glenda sing in the show. Very nice. Our agents negotiated an extra fee there for that. Yeah, and um, but yeah, it was a bit of a tragic, bittersweet kind of conversation. She she tells him. Um, Sorry, Ken, but I don't think it's working between us. And she dumps him after all this. She says, "She says, um, there's a romantic spark missing in what I'd want. Can we just be friends? And he's like, of course. It's like, bloody brilliant. <laughs> yep. So straight <laughs> round to Martha's later. Well, no, no, he doesn't. Sorry. He's, he kind of swaps Wendy out for Martha in the booth pretty much and says, anyway, me and Wendy have parted ways. He he's just makes out that he makes out that he's given Martha the old um sorry, Wendy the old heave ho. Martha's obviously thrilled about this and then kind of cuddles up next to him, grabbing hold of his arm and rubbing up against him like a like a cat. And she um she starts talking about their guilt-free future. Hull is our oyster, she says. I'd say so, it's more like a winkle. Back at number one, Ken fills an incredulous Brian in about what's happened. Brian has an ill feeling about this. And on the eve of the play, too, and they kind of make, they're making a load of jokes about um, Macbeth and, and superstition and Ken's putting a curse on the play and stuff and everything. And Ken says, don't be so stupid. Nothing is going to go wrong. Nothing can go wrong. So, uh, is it too late to make a joke about Ken's winkle after what you just said? Well, I, I think thought the moment's you passed. Well, it with two hands. Were you, were, you, were, you, uh, <laughs> were you setting me up for something there? I was there trying that I to didn't... see if you would bite, but apparently... Missed it. So. so, Wednesday is the play day. And um, so everybody get ready to go to the theatre, but oh no, the theatre's flooded. <sighs> Why can't you do it, Coronation Street? Why can't you film in location just sometimes, please? This is Stephanie Beecham you've got on your programme. Go to a theatre. Don't make it at the bistro. It's silly. Did, did you, did, were you I as knocked as I was no, about this? Absolutely don't care. When we were, in, when we were learning about this play storyline back in the summer, I was thinking, oh, lovely, I know I've got a picture of them all on a stage and everything. And it's like, no, they just slung up a sheet in the back of the bistro. And it's like, oh, well, yes. come on, come on. Right, anyway, oh, and it's always the same, isn't it? <laughs> there's always a burst pipe. Whenever somebody can't, whenever there's a venue that somebody wants to do something in that they can't film at, there's always got to be a burst pipe. There is something seriously wrong with the plumbing in Coronation Street. And now Leo can't fix it. Dead. So stop being so insensitive. Anyway, the play's been cancelled. 
raging torrents 10 feet deep and Ken's like, no, the play will still go on. Yes, we can use the bistro, he says. And so um, he says, oh yeah, he then puts another curse on them by telling them all good luck. Yes. No, break their legs. <laughs> oh yeah, but what is it? He, he says, break all your legs and they say, You're, you almost can. So he meets up with Martha in the pub later. They're very excited about him going off with her tomorrow. Um, but then it turns out that Angela, who's the person that's playing Mrs. Invers in the play, has actually Major broken her leg. Character. Well, no, Mrs. Invers was one of the main characters. I've, I've lost track of who's playing who. Was Mrs. Invers the character that Wendy was going to play and then she pulled out of it? I've lo- I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, Martha says, fear not, I will step in. Five hours to learn a script, no problem, I'm a right pro at this. And um, Ken's worried that Martha and Wendy are going to meet up and realise what's happened with her breaking up with him and everything. I hadn't worried, I hadn't twigged up to this point that Martha and Wendy had never had a scene together, had you? No. I think maybe part of the problem that I had with this story, as much as I did kind of enjoy the the love triangle thing, is that there, there wasn't that tension between the two women but anyway, yeah, they, weren't, so that, they didn't know that each other, yeah, they weren't yeah. like all rivals. No, but anyway, bistro later, preparations are in full swing. George, Eileen, and Sean turn up, followed by Wendy. And um, Ken's trying to show Wendy to her chair just anything that so she doesn't meet up with Martha, but she she wants to go and pop backstage to see the others. And Ken's like, no, 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 go to the bar, get us a drink. So she's like, dutifully goes over there. But tragedy, Martha comes out. She needs to buy Mary a drink, so she goes to the bar too. So then finally, we have this great meeting between the two loves of Ken's life, Martha Fraser and Wendy Papadopoulos. And Martha realises who she is because she has to give her name at the bar because it's like Starbucks or something. And she introduces herself and Martha does and says, look, didn't want there to be any hard feelings between us. You know, what with Ken being with me now? And Wendy's like, uh, what, excuse me? Ken's with you? And she's, so then she take uh, fills Martha in on exactly what happened. Because Martha's like saying, oh yeah, he dumped you, didn't he? And Martha's like, uh, nobody would dumps Wendy Papadopoulos. Thank you very much. Maybe we should have a little chat. So anyway, the play begins. And we get to see a bit of Brian on the stage, don't we? Yeah. With his <clears> massive <throat> ears. He didn't have the ears on the poster, but he's no. got the ears back for the actual yeah, play. Extra How did you find Brian's performance? I thought, I I thought that the script that he read and his performance was actually really really good, and I think that Peter Gunn showed incredible skill towing the line. Between stupidity and actually affecting... So did I. I mean, we haven't talked about this, have we? No, we haven't. I thought that Peter Gunn actually did a pretty <laughs> decent job because the character that he was playing was a bit of a kind of toffee-nosed toff, wasn't he? And like, did he even have some fake teeth yes, in? Like, he yeah, did. he did. And he's like, and yeah. He's sort of projecting his teeth and. Yeah. But the, the script that he read, which is supposedly written by Ken, mm. was actually quite beautiful. Yeah. I thought it, it was still silly. Yes. But it wasn't so over the top silly as Brian has been in the past. I of thought this. it was so well pitched. Yeah, I was very pleasantly surprised by it actually. And and this is obviously a comedy storyline, so you're not expecting full on, you know, despionism drama or whatever. But yeah, it was good. Audrey seems Jay- to be loving it. 
The frustrating part about it was that it wouldn't have been so impactful if it hadn't been for his ridiculous over-the-top performances previously where you didn't think that he could pull this off. Mm. So part of it was the surprise <coughs> and appreciation of his... Because if he had done this all along, it wouldn't have been as affecting. Mm. But I don't know if it was worth... I don't think the that... scenes of us having to watch... Like, shut up, Brian. I don't think he needed the ears. I think that they were there for... But to I make think, the Corrie viewers laugh. No, 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 but I think Peter Gunn wearing fake teeth in the ears and still doing a stupid impression of somebody with a goofy teeth and still actually being able to affect you in an <laughs> emotional way kind of feels like if I was doing a little, you know, for your consideration, best performing, <laughs> you know, I'd put that in there because it takes a lot of talent. I I just think that if I was actually in the audience of this play and there was a guy out there with stupid BFG ears, I wouldn't be able to take him seriously. I think personally for <laughs> me, I was just pleased that he was able to tone it oh, down no, a I little know. bit. Well, if you watch if you were in the show in real life, there's a lot of things that you might mm. And the, Wednesday's episode, we need to remember, is the I one that lots of people didn't really enjoy. So I think people the majority didn't enjoy this, but I th- I thought it was good. Um Sean's asleep during this. Then Mary and Martha come on for their scene. And Martha's got... Has she got a wig on, doesn't she, over her? Has she got a blonde wig or something? I'm I trying to remember. I can't recall. Mary, Mary, unlike Brian, is still as over the top as ever. But I think that was what she was supposed to... I just couldn't Patty get behind Claire her. delivered exactly what was expected and asked of her here. She had to... Be over the. It's still the the story. Listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just couldn't. I'm sorry. The 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 story requires her performance to have not been that good because it build it builds into what happens on Friday. Yeah, I know. Brian. I know. I know. But I just I'm gonna say I don't think that the the payoff here is gonna be worth this that this silliness. And I was I was imagining. If you were flipping through the channels, not that anybody ever does this anymore, and you were like, oh, I wonder what's going on on Coronation Street, and you flicked through and you got to Mary, what would you think? <laughs> what would you think if... I mean, we, we're constantly defending uh, Coronation Street and soaps in general from people who say that they're stupid and that there's something inherently morally bankrupt about the whole concept of even watching them in the first place. And I talk a lot about social snobbery, snobbery, uh, social, you know, the social issues they tackle, the very real change that they affect in society, the fact they reflect what what's going on in the world in a in a very um, honest and true sense. The skill of the actors and the writers and the directors and everybody, and then you get a scene with Mary shrieking like that, and it just if if somebody just showed that clip in the middle of me doing an impassioned speech about how. It's akin to Charles Dickens. <laughs> I wouldn't really be able to say anymore. You would ever would have I? legs to stand on there. No, it's true. Um, <clears throat> anyway, a lot, a lot of the scene isn't Mary. It, it's Martha, isn't it? And um, she goes off script somewhat. And this is the um, the the revealing of Ken as being the the massive player that he is. And she um, she says, um, "I wrote this down. 
I'll perform it in the style of Stephanie B. Show as best I can. Oh, go on. There are devils everywhere. There is one in this room. One who is spineless and who cannot tell the truth. One who wants to have all his cake and eat it. So he lies to women. He has lied all his life and carries on lying because he is weak and cares only for himself. A cheat and a philanderer. Behold, his name is Ken. Now that's for your consideration. Anyway, so she, um, she, yeah. And then she strides off. Yeah, she strides off after having, um, publicly dissed Ken. Um, if I was the theatre in Hull and I found out that, I know, is Martha supposed to be performing in this Well, she wrote it. She wrote it, but she's, she's... She's wrote the whole performance. Yeah, if I, if I was going to be employing Martha Fraser to be an actress in my play in the future and I heard that she did this in the middle of a performance I'd be like no I can't trust her yeah but if you read um, <coughs> the review of the play in the Weatherfield Recorder I think oh, yeah. it went down quite well yeah that's true <laughs> anyway so Ken is there and um, he kind of he, he just looks confused really he and Roy and, um, and Audrey are there I go what the heck is going on anyway well Ken knows really he, Kath, I think Ken's just confused that he's, he's not got him. away with it yeah um, even though this has just been it's just a repeat of what's been going on for his entire life basically with women so anyway he goes and finds her in uh, Debbie's office to apologise and um, she doesn't make it easy for him she says you are still the same self-centred little boy you ever were a girl chaser which I thought was a nice little um, kenning is it to, to describe him who never grew up she kind of kenning. makes she kind of makes kenning me I think you have a look at it. I think it's a, it's a I think it's kenning. a kenning Kenning is a type okay. of poem, and it'd be quite um, apt if it was a kenning for Ken. Um, he, she kind of almost makes Peter Pan analogies towards him, doesn't she? Which is quite um, apt, considering there's a Wendy involved as well. Anyway, um, Peter, uh, Ken's like, look. Say it again, what's a kenning? A girl chaser. Is that right? A kenning is a special type of poem that describes an object or creature without ever using its name. Yeah, such as? Plant grower. Yes, go on, do it. He's stage two teacher, everybody. Skylighter, earth healer. What does that mean? Girl, what? Earth healer. Plant grower, skin burner, skylighter, earth healer. Sun. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so girl chaser Ken says, look, we could work this through. No way, says Martha. But what about Hull? Forget about Hull. As far as you're concerned, you can go to hell. I didn't like that. You didn't like that line, did you? No. I kind of like the idea behind it, but... It didn't work. The, 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 yeah, the, the, the line itself wasn't quite as good as it could I be. also didn't really like Martha's speech. Didn't you? I I thought she performed it perfectly, but I don't I didn't like the you way didn't it was like written. The, the script. I thought it I thought it definitely felt like something that you could have ad libbed, which is not really what you want, is it? But she was ad libbing it. Yeah, but so. in the in the fictional world. <laughs> um so Brian finds Mary later and says, Well, you were terrific in this. You just um, she, she's upset that the Gazette reviewer didn't turn up. She's, he said, don't worry about any of that. You knocked it out of the park, girl. So she's pretty happy with this. Ken finds Wendy in the pub later and says, sorry about earlier. Can I take you to dinner to apologise? And she's like, nope, mate, sorry, it is over. In fact, I'm going to hole with Martha, who then turns up and they swan off together to hole. And Ken's just left looking somewhat regretful at the end of the episode. So that is the end of... Martha and Wendy, and who'd have thought that they'd just be going off together? I like that. I want them to, um, I want them to become. Uh... Corey's first lesbian <laughs> wedding. I've seen that online. Yeah. 
who knows, maybe. Friday's episode, um, I mean, the play stuff is mostly over, but this is just the coda to it, I suppose. There's a funny scene at the beginning in the, in the cafe with um, Peter and Adam kind of ribbing Ken about the whole everything that happened the previous night. And Ken says, well, at least no. I didn't marry both of them, as a bit of a sly dig to Peter and his escapades with Shelley and Lucy. And then, then Mary comes in, she's automatic, she's got her headscarf on and her celebrity glasses on and she's she's just all being very overdramatic about how terrible she thinks that the play went. Um, and she's not wrong. She's not, no. She's down in the dumps, the Gazette gets delivered um, and it's apparently got a review in it and Mary's like, I don't want to know, it's probably utterly scathing but before long, Temptation gets the better of her and she reads out this review and is actually quite pleasantly surprised to find out that the reviewer thought that it was awesome. Well, she was awesome. And she's described as a touchstone performance against which all future Weatherfield players should be measured. And I was watching this tonight and thinking, are we supposed to think that? Thankfully, it gets revealed towards the end of the episode where this all came from. But I was really seriously scratching my head here and thinking, <laughs> are we supposed to think that Mary did actually give a good performance oh God, so we just should be happy with her? Little bit confusing, but it all comes out later. Basically, Brian was the one to write the review. I don't know whether they really clearly explained about how Brian was able to write a review for the, for the Gazette. He's clear... Um... What's the word? Conflict of interests that the person who reviewed the play was also in it. Why don't all um, actors write their own reviews? I it know seems some, like I know it, some people it's make things a lot easier. Yeah. Anyway. I'll tell you what, Coronation Street should do their own official podcast. No, don't you give them any ideas. Anyway, um, that, that's basically it. Well done. Well done, that, that storyline. So um, it, we're kind of left with this going in a slightly new direction of Brian fancies Mary. Mm. What do you think of that? It's got the it's got the uh, potential to get completely out of hand. Uh, it's a difficult one because they're very suited to one they're another. They're totally suited to each other, and it's like why why haven't I thought of this? I mean, these characters have been in the same circle and in the same stories for years now, haven't they? Brian's now free from Kathy, so why wouldn't they go out? Brian's older than Mary. Mary is attracted to older men, and well, has been attracted to older men more than once in the past. So it seems like a match made in heaven, except for viewers who find Mary and Brian a bit irritating. It's got the potential to really, really great. <coughs> Normally, it doesn't work when you have two extremely comedic characters together because somebody's got to be the straight man. Yeah, I mean. It could be a bit of a Mavis and Derek situation because he's yeah. he's not dissimilar from Derek Wilton, is he? Well, one thing I'll and say... He's a bit of a stuffy buffoon sort of person. Is I would have been a lot more excited about this idea before the play story. But since the play story happened, I just don't like them together because of how over the top it gets. Mm. I, think, I think that's the risk, isn't it? If, on the other hand, they decide to show a bit of... Just realness to the characters. And Brian... Both of them have had Yeah, they both have. That, I, I, don't, I, I, I know I always seem really down on Mary, but Patty Mary I used really to really love. Job. She has done some great serious stuff in the past. But she's she's fallen into the trap that they've gone, they've gone down with Kirk, where they've forgotten all of the things 
that make them an actual character and just turn them into a joke machine. Mm. Mary to me was at her best when she was the nanny to to the twins. Yeah, to because she and had a bit of humanity there, and she she was maternal and caring and concerned and human. And now she's just silly. Yeah, Brian. For his part, he was great when he was with Julie. Mm -hmm. When he came into the story, he was, you know, a fairly sensible head teacher at the school where John Stape taught. Um, and, and he has had some super serious scenes. Like, you know, can't forget the witness statement scene with that. Abby last year. He He's um... been brilliant. Yeah. Um, was that the right word? A victim impact statement, that's what it was, wasn't it? He's been So if they draw on that, <clears throat> this could be a really lovely couple. And I've seen lots of people online saying, oh yeah, that, they'd be perfect for each other. And I think that they could be perfect to, together. It just depends, yeah, what tone they want to give this, it's really. It's got to dial it down by about 50%. Mm. It does make me wonder that, you know, part of the problem with Kathy and Brian as a relationship is... They just never appeared. Like, we still haven't seen Brian's flat for donkey's years now. Yeah. And 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 there were there and months went by when Brian was not you know, we never heard from him. But Mary has you know, she's always been in the spotlight to some extent, hasn't she? Even <coughs> if it's just been as a side character coming into the rovers and saying something silly about what her mum's been doing. So this this could be an opportunity to to get more of them as well. Things that it's... could be quite exciting developments from this relationship include Mary getting a job at the cabin with, with um, Brian and we actually get to see more of that because I think those two would work really f well together and be quite funny. Yeah. Because it'd be a way to get them in as a couple without having to revolve the story around their relationship, which can be a death sentence. Mm. And then the other we don't thing... don't get Tracy and Mary anymore. <clears throat> the other thing that would be quite funny would be if... Brian met Mary's mum and we didn't oh, see the meeting yeah, but we got good. to see the build up we got to see him getting nervous and then <laughs> and then we just have stories for the next x number of years of Brian and Mary That's a great idea. talking about his her her mum yeah and you can go two ways with that you can have Brian telling equally bizarre stories about how weird Mary's mum is or you could have him sort of like being like, she's not like that at all. <laughs> you know, there could be a, another joke, another level of joke there. I don't know. But um, the idea of him meeting Mary's mum, I'm very excited about. I'd like, I'd almost like to see the meeting of them and then <clears throat> and Mary's mum just finding him and at a buffoon and like, how on earth? No, I tell you what you do. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't ever cast Mary's mum, but you'd have scenes of them in Mary's mum's house. And coming out of the room. <laughs> yeah. No, and him standing in the hallway. And they're married. <coughs> for example, they're, they're having a dinner party. And Brian's standing in the hallway. And he's just there with his head in his hand. And Mary comes out and she goes, what are you doing? The souffles are falling. And he's like, I can't go back in there. She's absolutely insane. Yeah. And she's like, love me and love my mother, Brian. And then she grabs him by the shoulders and pushes him through the door. He is in Coronation Street. I think that could be a good place to take this. Because it's clearly happening, isn't it? I mean, that's that's going to be a 2023 romance. That's going to be an L.O. Love, love. Um, nomination for Could it be the best wedding? Maybe, I don't know. Don't know. So um, anyway... Um, yeah, the, the play, the play itself. This is what we've been building up to for for months. Thought it was a slight letdown. It seems like it was a one night only thing. I think it was. Doesn't I think... need to carry on now that the storyline's over. I like the idea. I think they got a bit lost. Got a bit lost in. Lost in silliness. It was too over the top. 
some people liked it. I didn't. Some some bits were funny. I would have preferred it to have just relied a bit less on histronics, mm. basically. The the bit I always said that the best bit about the play storyline was the Ken Martha Wendy stuff, and not actually the play itself. I like the way that they ended up with Ken just getting nobody and them leaving him. We, we Girl did, power, lady. We did wonder whether, you know, something like that would happen and they both end up dumping him. I, I did find it <clears> funny <throat> how Ken was still just lying about it to, Mar- to Martha and saying that he dumped Wendy. He's still got... Game. He's still got game, hasn't he? As Danny Mulvaney said the other week, he has got game. So um, I, I presume this is the last that we'll see of them. And if that's the case final thoughts on their returns nice i think so i mean nice to see them back nice that ken gets a little flutter of a romance i am i am quite i think i'm disappointed that that wendy hasn't stayed because as much as she is you know the the evil wendy crozier yeah cory femme vitale extraordinaire she definitely mellowed and it felt like they were a bit of a fit, a good fit. And I was quite surprised when she came to him on the Wednesday episode or Monday, whenever it was, and said, I don't feel the spark because it felt to me like there was one, you know? Yes. I know there's no replacing Deirdre and everything, but I, I, I think, think a lot of people it would have been quite who, nice. I think a lot of people who didn't like Wendy just because she wasn't Deirdre mm. probably respect her more now. She's come out and said, it's not for me. Yeah. When, last... Last time Wendy left, she had a tail between her legs, didn't she? Because she'd been rumbled when she tried to make out that Ken had spent the night with her to Deirdre. And here she's left with her head held up high. And and to to many a Coronation Street fan, that probably doesn't sit right with them, that, that, that this villain, Wendy Flame and Crozier, has had the last laugh. But as someone who you know didn't watch it back then... I just know her from reputation and everything. I thought, no, well, Ken, Ken know, had it coming. If you're gonna take, if you're gonna take Deirdre's side in the Ken and Wendy Deirdre saga, in a sense, Deirdre still won here because Ken's lost. That's the main thing. Mm. You know, Ken yeah. hasn't. Ken didn't win the long game here of dating Deirdre. And Wendy, then picking Deirdre and waiting for her to die, then going out with Wendy, because she told him where to go. Yeah. So from that perspective, it's sort of karma, isn't it? Yeah. I, I just... <laughs> when when Wendy came back in the summer with Abby, yeah. and, you know, that side of the storyline was very quickly dropped, wasn't it? It was almost a shame that we didn't get to see a, a final Wendy and Abby scene, because we did get Abby back this week, very briefly, hooray. But... Um, she I, isn't going to be mentioned? No. I, I not just, in this. Um, not in this. On, yeah, yeah. And later on, she oh, okay. she was doing the Tyrone storyline, wasn't she? Um, okay. Yeah. So I've forgotten what I was saying. Um, yeah, I thought I thought that Wendy would be in it for a few weeks, and when we went to see the filming in August, I was actually very surprised to to see Roberta still filming there. So she got a good <clears> five <throat> months on it. That's more than lots of returning characters get. Fine, yeah, she's great. not stayed. Good job. And um, Martha herself, um, we were we were so excited to feel to, to hear that Martha was coming back, weren't we? I don't think she quite lived up to expectations. 
it almost felt like she was in it not quite long enough. And then when she came into it for a bit, then she went away and then she wasn't in it for a few episodes and it, it felt like we didn't really quite get enough of her. And I think The only that... thing I'd say is that it felt like she skated on her reputation, yeah. which meant that if you hadn't seen her original run, you would be like, I don't get the, I don't get the hype. But before her return this time, she was like a real classic. But... Uh, do you remember that time when Ken had Stephanie Beecham on a boat? What classic story that was. And, and this is like, mm, it doesn't quite live up to it. But because I'd seen her original run, I, I still found her return very engaging. Yeah. I read somebody um, before Wednesday's episode saying that Martha should have... Um, done the same to Ken as he did to her when he made out that he was going to leave with her back, you know, 10 years ago, but then yeah. stand on the bridge. Should she, once she found out about how he tricked her with uh, into thinking that he dumped Wendy, should she have got ready to go off to Hull with him and then dumped him in a service station or something and like give him a taste funny. of his own medicine? It would have been, but the whole play... It, it makes sense, I suppose, that the reveal came in a play. As as unrealistic as it might have been for a professional actress to have done that in the middle of a performance, um, whatever, I, I thought it was still quite fun to watch. So um, will Ken have <coughs> learned a lesson from this? Probably not. I don't think he's going to have time to... Um... He doesn't in in an if he learns a lesson. He doesn't even seem particularly bothered on Friday. Like he literally lost Just made the a chance. Joke, a joke about it. He he did. He's like, oh, what am I like? Like he had this woman that he apparently loved, or two women that he apparently was willing to spend the rest of his life with both callously dump him the day before and Friday's just like yeah back to the cafe back to normal life he's like playing more fun yeah I'm holding out for jo- uh, Joanna Lumley don't wait for Elaine Perkins to come back right lumps of Daisy Gemma we got okay, the cancer storyline would you like to uh, let us know what's going on Absolutely with love. Miss Midgley I was starting to worry that we weren't going to get a good cancer storyline after after Laura Nealand died of stomach cancer in the year. I was like <laughs> oh no all the ones that have got cancer have died <laughs> They're back. It's back. On Monday, Daisy, um, Daisy's mad basically because she doesn't like living with Tracy, and uh, she's lost her magazine, which Tracy's put in the recycling, and Daniel finds it, and he has seen an article that's written by Bethany Platt. So in the pub, Ken and Daniel are looking at this article, and Ken's like, "Wow, she's so wonderful and inspirational." And Daniel's getting a bit annoyed because he feels um, insecure because he it was his dream to be a writer, not Bethany. I, I saw someone <coughs> online said that they paused it and have a read of the article, and it wasn't all that. We should have gone back and done it ourselves. But I it always it never really kind of sat right with me when Bethany became this amazing writer out of the blue just before her exit storyline, but. What are you going to do? do? What can you do? So Daisy comes home to find Daniel and he's writing um, an article of his own because Bethany's inspired him and he needs to get back into writing and he he doesn't want to tell Daisy what it's about. So Daisy gets her nose put out of joint and says, oh, what, because you think I won't get it because I'm too thick. Who highbrow for No, it's about my personal experiences. I'll let you read it when I'm finished. And um, she swans off to go for a bath. Then um, Daniel takes his writing to the cafe and Brian looks over his shoulder and he's like, oh, that paragraph there, you should write it in the present tense to make it more immediate. And uh, I hate it. He's when, a teacher. I hate it when things like this happen in a, in on television. Anyway, <clears throat> Daisy wanders in, finds him there, and she's, he's, she's annoyed because Brian read it, but she wasn't allowed, so she drops off. 
on Wednesday. Daniel's asleep on the sofa because he's been writing all night long and he fell asleep there. And she's trying to feed his bloody son. And um, she's trying to get him to wake up and he won't. And eventually she does manage to get him to wake up. And then and then she... she I don't know. What, I can't remember how... The she's, she's just, we just see a little brief scene of her in the pub and she's there by the optics and she kind of put in a... She put her hands, a hand hands under, hands her, under her armpit. Under her armpit, and, and she's like, oh. And you know that she's feeling it. It's making me paranoid, just having a feel. That's all right. Hang on. Check the other side. That's all right, okay. Do you um, want me to check? <laughs> we're recording. <laughs> Fizz um, bumbles Sorry, into the factory. As Gemma's standing there, this is the wrong storyline. Oh, I always do this. Right, so, so Daisy's obviously worried about about this lump so she runs into the living room she kicks Jenny out because it's presumably her time to um to have her shift and uh, she has to go up to a mirror I don't know why she's looking in the mirror but she has another check and she definitely feels a lump there and uh, Jenny comes in and sees her she can tell her expression is she's worried and um, she tells her she confesses I've got this lump. So Jenny says, right, get it checked out. Daisy says, conveniently, I've got a, um, I'm going to have a pill check with Dr. Gaddis tomorrow. And you didn't have to come up with that excuse, <coughs> Daisy. Just say what they all usually do. And it's like, yeah, I've been able to book Looking an appointment the next appointment. day. It's fine. But um, I'll, I'll talk to her. I don't want to tell Daniel because I don't want to worry him until I know what's going on. Um, Daniel comes into the pub later and he thinks that Daisy's jealous about Bethany. And she says, no, I'm not. I'm actually upset because I found a lump in my breast. So that didn't last very long, did it, about not telling him. <laughs> he is immediately incredibly worried and wants to know if she's okay. Does he, he need, she need him to go to the doctors with her? And she says, look, no, I know what happened with you and Sinead. I don't want, to be, don't want this to be difficult for you. <coughs> yeah, and he says, no, no, that is fine. I'll, I'll come along. I'll and she says, right, don't, okay, but don't tell anybody. I don't want anyone to know at the moment. So he does. He goes and tells Peter. Get back at number one. He's drinking away. <clears throat> he tells Peter about his lump. And he also accidentally calls, um, refers to Daisy as Sinead. Um, in case you're a new Coronation Street viewer, uh, Daniel was married to Sinead, who died of cancer a few years ago. Um, and now he's worried, of course, obviously, that... History is repeating itself. He's panicking. He's like... This is going to happen again and I can't save her. Don't worry, Coronation Street <coughs> never recycles storylines, Daniel. <laughs> Friday, da Daisy's nervous. She's waiting for her appointment. Daniel's trying to reassure her. Then, very sweetly, Beth comes round. Daniel's there by himself at number one. Um, she's got Christmas presents and she's brought them for Bertie. And then she pulls out this bauble... And she's got it printed up with a picture of him, Daisy and Bertie. I thought that was very nice because she's been quite hostile towards um, this relationship right from the start. She doesn't want she? she doesn't want Sinead to be replaced, but now she's accepted they're a family. Yeah, quite unbeth like <clears throat> And he's very overwhelmed. And it's I guess in his mind it's symbolic like, here you go, here's the new replacement for Sinead, and she's exactly the same in every way, including the fact she's gonna die. Mm. So Jenny, Jenny's like, come on, Daisy, you've got to go to the medical centre. I know that Daniel's not around, but you've got to go anyway. Meanwhile... Oh, no, at this point, Jenny, Daisy's supposed waiting. to be meeting up with him at the medical centre, isn't isn't she? Because she's at the cafe at this point, and then Jenny's saying, well, it's time to go. Daniel'll be there. Go on, let's get you moving. But no, Daniel's boozing up, <coughs> drinking whiskey in the Rovers, getting completely sloshed. And Jenny comes back from getting Daisy to go into her appointment to find... 
Daniel, completely drunk. And he says, sorry I'm drunk, but my girlfriend might have cancer and I'm going to be left alone again. And Carla's there with Peter. Yeah. And they're both, oh my God. Um, he, he swans out. Carla follows him to Victoria Street. Daisy's still waiting outside. She, she loses track of him or something. The, Victor, the medical centre. Leaves a message on his answer phone saying, okay, I've got to go in now. I mean, she thinks it's time for her appointment. Guess what, love? You're sitting in the waiting room for at least 20 more minutes. <laughs> Meanwhile, Daniel's swigging vodka on a bench in Victoria Gardens. Peter finds him. He says, listen, you need to be supportive of Daisy. I can't tell you how important it was that Carla was there for me when I was going through all my liver stuff. And also, just FYI, getting drunk doesn't really help matters. So Daniel decides to man up very gendered, and goes into the appointment, but sadly, he's still drunk. He knocks stuff on the floor, he's being very crude. <laughs> he's finding a pen with four different colours. He's a he's saying amazed it a big farmer. Daisy tells him, big farmer, yeah. See, one of my friends is a pharmacist, and mm. the other one's a, a doctor, and they bring me stationery all the time from pharmaceutical <laughs> companies, so I've got some very weird pens in my Tell you collection. What, when, when Daisy was talking about having her appointment, I was, I was saying, you better not be dangling Dr. Gaddis <laughs> in front of us and not showing her, but fortunately we did get a couple oh. of Gaddis scenes today. And you, has she got a new hair again? Uh, maybe. Because I... she's got one of these angled bobs, like Sarah Harding used to have. <laughs> no, no, no. Dawn French's was asymmetrical. Okay. Sarah Harding had the whole shorter at the back and longer at the front. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's what's yours today. All the she time. must have been homaging. <laughs> Which is kind of sad, really, because this is a storyline about breast cancer. Oh, yeah. I don't think it was intentional. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. But I do think, to gather this, I love the fact that her hair's always different. I just love her so much. So anyway, um, she's like, um, I'm not sure if you should be in, in here. Do you want to go? And <laughs> Daisy's like, yeah, you should leave, Daniel. So then they talk, and um, Dr. Gaddis is saying to her, okay, we're going to get you a mammogram, we're going to get you some tests, the scan's going to be tomorrow. Just relax, don't Google anything. Definitely don't look up what happens in this storyline. <laughs> um, and then, I don't know why she says this, I thought this was really unprofessional, and I don't normally criticise Dr. Gaddis, because she is a queen. But she says, um, Daniel must be worried, because you remember... <laughs> His wife died of cancer. And Daisy's like, yeah, I know, but he's not the one that's got it. I do. Dr. Gaddis was there when uh, Sinead died as well, I think, or she had been in episodes around there. So she remembers it well. I remember when I was in those episodes. That's what Dr. Gaddis says. Mm -hmm. I'm actually in one of the videos. Hello. Hello, it's me, Dr. Gaddis. If past. you're watching this, Bertie, your mum's dead. <coughs> I didn't. It wasn't my fault. I did my best. Anyway, um, Daisy goes back to the pub, tells Daisy, tells Jenny about her appointments and things, and Jenny says, stay at the Rovers with me tonight, you don't get any, need to stay with, with um, Daniel. And Daisy says, no, listen, I need to talk to Daniel about this, because I need to work out if he's going to do this. He can't do this every time something difficult happens. He has to face reality, and he has to cope with bad things, because there's no way life's just going to be hunky-dory, because we're in a soap. Yeah, I don't know whether he's noticed, but bad things <coughs> happen to everyone all the time, and I don't think I can be with anybody who can't cope with that drama. Daisy's like, can't I be in one of those money windfall stories? <laughs> Instead of one of these cancer stories. Adam finds Daniel in the lounge in number one. He's wallowing in misery. Beth comes in the door with Bertie. Adam says he's going to help Bertie get to bed, but Daniel needs to sober up. So Daniel sobers up a bit more, goes to the pub, apologises to Daisy, 
opens up about his feelings. He says, I don't want to put Bertie through this again. And she's like, well, then you'll need to, we need to split up because yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. Daisy and Daniel on the rocks. I don't buy it. They're going to stay together. And I am not in the slightest bit concerned about the state of Daisy's health. She is not going to have cancer. Or if she does, it's going to be very easily cut out and gone. I, I, I don't think that... Obviously, it's supposed to parallel the Sinead storyline and, and, and show how Daniel's still not, never able to forget Sinead. Nor should he. But I don't think that they're going to have her have cancer. Do you? I really, really hope not. I can't deal with it. I know you hope not, but I am like so do not believe that she is going to suffer with cancer because it literally will be running through the entire same story again. There's not a cat and house chance that's going to happen. So usually when people she start to have to cancer symptoms out. or whatever and Corey, I'm like, oh no, not again. And oh no, Gemma's not going to enjoy it with this. I'm like, it'll be fine. She needs to find out like uh, very quickly that she doesn't have cancer and um get that sorted out which is not realistic what not uh, the what the way the world is in the nhs and what's happening you can't even get a letter from your from your the hospital to tell you you've got an appointment for a a diagnostic test because the royal mail is on strike <laughs> at the moment so, well, it's all right because she's getting a scan on Monday and it's all going to be fine. Like, literally, <coughs> I think it wouldn't surprise me if by Christmas she knows that she's in the clear but, and they're having this split up now so they can have a nice Christmas reunion. Well, I wouldn't take him back. What an absolute asshole! You think? Oh, God, he made it all about himself, didn't he? He's like, yeah. oh, no, not another one dying of cancer. How will I cope? What do you think about your poor girlfriend who's going through the absolute terror of being faced with her imminent demise at the age of 20-whatever? 26. And I know that she's not... It's very scary. I'm kind of a bit annoyed at Coronation Street, but they did it for the, the storyline purposes, that the idea that if you feel something wrong with you, you immediately just got a death sentence. Because it's hard enough when you've got medical anxiety in the first place, if you feel that something's wrong with you, and then you watch something on telly and you're like, well, she's going to die. It doesn't help you cope, does it? No, but I mean, that's what everybody's mind immediately springs to, doesn't yes, it? If you, if you feel something like that. So it's perfectly natural <clears> that Daisy would. And to be honest, Jenny was trying to reassure her and saying, look, it's it's probably going to be okay. You just need to get it checked out because she is I'm young and the chances you're right, of her... It's going to be okay because even if there is a lump there, she's found it. She's going to go and get it treated. Yeah. The doctor's taking her seriously, which is sometimes half of the battle. Mm. And so... She's not, I mean, she's not even going to, she's not going to have a, a mastectomy, is she? Because that would be... Um, I don't know. Really getting into character. That would be, uh, what's it called? For What do you mean? When, when an actor... Method acting. Me, that would be proper method acting by, by Charlie Jordan there. Michael. So, I... Your, your mum had one, but I she know had she a did. special device. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, she did, didn't she? She had her... Um, she had a chicken fillet. Yes. <laughs> um, no, I, I've got no worries about that whatsoever. So, which meant... That because I wasn't worried at going down that route, I was able to enjoy seeing two really, really good actors. And I do really rate Rob and, and Charlie. 
um, doing some serious scenes because Charlotte Jordan is, as we know, fantastic at the comedy. She's brilliant behind the bar at the Rovers and, you know, with her little, with her sly looks and her little raising of their eyebrows and everything like that. But she hasn't often had to have proper serious scenes like this. So it was utterly refreshing that they were able to give it to her and she was able to knock it out of the park. And it makes me partly think that's good. I hope they give her a nice juicy meaty storyline. Although at the back of my head, I'm thinking, is, is she going to be the next one? Is she going to be the next Corrie lady who they just dump misery on top of like they did with Emma? And, you know, they've shown that she can do the serious stuff. So now we're going to put her character through the ringer and she'll be a shadow of her former self in two years time. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even realise until before I started that sentence that that's where I was going. But I really hope that they don't do that with Daisy because they've really got something very special there. But going back to what you said about Daniel, yes, he was a massive ass for making it all about himself, but... I still do have a little bit of sympathy for him after everything that he went through with Sinead. He was young. He had an incredibly traumatic childhood. His mum abandoned him. He had to raise himself. He's he's clearly got issues and has had issues growing up. Everything's gone wrong for him. So it's understandable, I think. Definitely understandable. That he's at, he is <coughs> immediately... He's, I'm still going to judge him because yeah, of course he is. But I'm still going to judge him because he obviously is not the right person to be going out with Daisy if she's going to not be able to rely on him to help her go through an incredibly difficult period. She doesn't need to worry about his stupid, <coughs> self-indulgent boyfriend and how he's going to cope with the fact that she's got cancer when she's worried about it herself. Mm. Well, I'm hoping that this, what we saw at the end of the episode today, is going to be a bit of a wake-up call for him. When he had the chat with Peter, didn't he? Um, he has to accept that bad things happen. Yeah. And and life isn't out to get him. Resilience. I, I know he's into poetry and all that, but I don't think he yeah. really believes in the, 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 cruel, the cruel hand of fate. Don't know. It's... He's he's very melodramatic and not very helpful. Mm. But you know, um, it's very on on brand for Daniel. Yeah, I mean, I was I was more down on Daniel for how insensitive he was being about the whole Bethany article, like saying, "Oh, look, it's Bethany, isn't she wonderful?" Ken, look at this, and, and clearly that's Daisy's not going to be happy with with the oh, kind of. I just ex. thought he was um, jealous. He's just an awful person. Oh, was he? Oh, yeah, no, he was. This week, he's just he's just an awful person. He's jealous of his ex girlfriend because she found her talent through the fact that she was, you know, raped and trafficked. He's he's mad at his girlfriend because she's got cancer. Mm. What the hell? This guy's <laughs> one of the supposed to be. No. But I can't I help. Like, I can't help really liking Daniel. I think that he's a very very complex character. Well, and that's what you know, I like about him, even though he's clearly <clears throat> got his points to work on as a human being. <laughs> you can understand somebody and why they're doing something, and it definitely makes logical sense, and you can also dislike them. Mm. That's my perspective yeah, on he, Daniel and Summer. really interesting to watch. Dan- Daniel and Daisy, fantastic stuff with them. She should week. not take him back. He's really toxic. She should. She should. Who knows what else is going to happen? Nobody guarantee- Nobody has guaranteed good health. If you're healthy right now, good for you, but it might not last very long. You might live your whole life until you're, you know, 95 and get run over by a bus. 
but very likely you're going to have problems with your health at some point and they're going to take you completely by surprise because everybody takes it for granted and Daniel is he going to be there for Daisy if she gets you know something else wrong with her Mm. In, in 10 years time in 20 years time in 30 years time what, what's he going to be like when they're old is he going to be able to count her pills out for her no is he going to be there for her when she needs to be in hospital for pneumonia she, is he going to be there if she takes a fall and has a broken hip don't think so give him a, a chance for some ca- no give him some chance for some character growth if he has this little stumble now Maybe if something does go wrong or get worse or whatever in the future and he kind of steps up to the plate and is like, no, I need to do this. Sinead's dead. I won't ever forget her, but Daisy's my priority now. That's great character growth. So maybe he needs to be a bit of an ass now so that he can have that redemption later. I think. I, I'm that, not giving him a That's what I say anyway. There's a, there's a massive... I'm not going to say anything. Okay. Um, Speaking of couples that we don't quite agree on about whether they should be together or not, Fizz and Tyrone. So um, there's a little bit of a holdover of the Johns... Is this you? Is this me? I don't know. Yeah, this is... Yeah, this is my turn. Yeah, there's a little bit of a holdover from the John Stape... John's tape story, isn't there? Because Hope's obsessed with this um, little women guide with, that her dad recorded at the beginning Do you know what would be a really hilarious what? development from this storyline? Is if... Because um, what's, Hope, what's Hope's educational situation at the moment? She's been kicked out. Is she back in again? Um, yeah, she's... Oh. I would love her... I think she's in. I would love her to get like... Is she? Like a weird young... Um, young writer's scholarship based on her work around Little Women due to how much she's listened to this tape about yeah. John reading uh, all and telling her all about it. And she actually has no knowledge of any other story apart from Little Women. <laughs> and so when she goes on this scholarship and she goes on, like, say, a summer camp or something, and then it gets revealed that she's just been parroting her. <laughs> Imagine if, like, one of the writers, one of the um, people that are leading the group is like, you know, that's a very unusual perspective on Little Women. And the only person I've ever heard <laughs> come out with an argument about... Well, funny you should say that. Yeah, I think she's back at school. She, or, didn't didn't Fizz and Tyrone have that meeting with a counsellor last week and he was the one that called them Mr and Mrs Stape <laughs> or something? Oh, that's true. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, she, yeah, the, I'm Fizz not and Tyrone, Mr Stape, he's dead, Fizz, said Tyrone. Uh, Fizz and Tyrone just think it's very cute because they think that she is obsessed with this mixed tape from Sam which is what she's told them it is basically anyway that's not the main thrust of the story this week Tyrone is planning this secret wedding on Christmas day for Fizz and now he's because nobody's got anything else to do on Christmas day (laughs) he can just have a secret one you know he didn't have to invite the whole street but well I'm not coming I've got stuff to do Tyrone's enlisted Gemma to help him put this surprise wedding day together and he's feeling a little bit overwhelmed by the whole thing Kevin and Abby find out about it too so a few people know about it and um yeah Gemma's decides to take him off dress hunting so even though Fizz got married this summer and everybody saw the dress that she got so maybe had quite a good idea about the sort of style that she's into they come back with this hideous kind of princess dress sort of thing Abby says that it looks like a Vionetta which is an amazing comparison and um <coughs> Tyrone kind of knew that it wasn't really Fizz's style, but she was, he was obviously too cowardly to tell Gemma what he really thought. Gemma gets mad, drops it on the floor into a pool of oil. 
Do you think that there is just a rack in the Coronation Street wardrobe department that they're all responsible for filling up that's just comedy wedding dresses? <coughs> and whenever they go to like a charity shop or something. Have they a horrible like, one? There we go. That one's hideous. We're going to buy that one. <laughs> Definitely. So um, later on in the episode, Abby comes round to number nine, tells Tyrone, I've told Beth about the dress, so now she's going to see what she can do about fixing it tomorrow. And Tyrone's getting a bit nervous at this point because more and more people are finding out about this wedding that's supposed to be a big secret. But he's pleased that things are moving along nicely. And um, this, is, this, is this, this is when we see um, Beth and Gemma... Um, they get discovered by Fizz, don't they, in the in the factory because Beth's working on it. Gemma, Fizz, Fizz walks in, sees Gemma standing there with a wedding dress. Beth's there with pins in her mouth. What's going on? Um, and it looks like Gemma has convinced Fizz that it's her and Chesney who are getting hitched. And Fizz is like, oh, my little brother's getting married. Oh, that's so cute. And Chesney has to play along with it as well. And, um... <coughs> Excuse me. Um... And that's kind of basically it. Fizz, Fizz um, finds Tyrone and Beth together later and they kind of talk wedding presents and stuff. Fizz wants to buy some stuff for Chesney, but it's kind of nothing really. Anyway, that's kind of, that's all that really happens there. And I'm I'm kind of thinking from this that Chesney and Gemma are probably going to get married next year now. What do you think? Is this going to, is this going to put an idea into their heads that they actually quite like it? I think they're playing a smart game here. I think what they're doing is waiting for the quad to get old enough. So that they can pay for the wedding themselves. I don't think so. Oh. No. I I they reckon Chesney and Gemma getting married next year based on this. It seems like it's a they perfect springboard. They should do. Although those children are going to get to hell when they die. Oh, they're a bunch of bastards, aren't they? <laughs> those quads, I tell you. Um, what, what are your thoughts at the moment? We are now a week away from Christmas. Are they going to get married? Yes. Is it going to be a happy wedding? Yes. Are you going to be happy with it? Huh. I will be. I still reckon it's going to happen. Dog. Nothing worse to talk about there. So let's. Bestiality is uh, illegal, so she shouldn't marry him. Let's get straight on uh, to the next storyline, <coughs> Gemma. Over to you, the Max Streamism storyline. Monday, Arlie is feeling guilty because she's put Speed Doll um, in danger by elbowing Griff in the face, and Yasmin says, "No, I've never condemned um, you for doing what you did, but um, we just need to watch our backs." Griff and Spider are going around, prowling around the market and Alia gets into a confrontation again and he makes a big deal about this injuries and the Muslim gangs that are terrorising the street and Spider gets a phone call and then Griff pushes Alia around the corner and intimidates her and says, oh, hit me again, hit me again, I know you want to. And she gets really scared and upset. I, I don't know why in this busy, busy market nobody sees this going on, but never mm. mind. They're like, oh, it's Christmas. That's He's probably just happens. kissing her under the mistletoe. She she gets away from him. Then we get the ladies of law, Alia and Dee Dee, um, in the office later. And Alia's panicking about Griff. And Griff said he'd go after the business. And she's worried about her gran. And she needs to cut down the hours at working for Dee Dee. I love how Dee Dee's like saying, oh, but Alia, you're brilliant at this job. We've literally never no. seen her do anything since getting this job she, with Dee Dee, have yeah, we? The only thing we've ever seen her do that's le- related to legal stuff is looking at bits of paper going, I don't know who, or how to get how to get Stu off. Yeah. And then Dee Dee looked at it for a half an hour and she's like, well, I've got the case here. But yeah, apparently Ali is so good and Dee Dee can't really afford to lose her, but Ali's like, no, my priorities are with speed dial now because it looks like we're going to be attacked by Griff. Obviously I'm more cutthroat than Dee Dee, so I'd make an excellent lawyer, but if I was her, I'd cut my losses there and say, yeah, Ali, you should probably step down a little bit. 
You've been so much drama. You've only just got here. I've employed you for like a week. And I know too much about your personal life. <laughs> I don't want to know all this stuff. I want you to get in, do your job, and bugger off. Photocopy some sheets of paper for me, <coughs> staple them together, and file them away in my cabinet. Yeah, That's all and I and ask email of people you, and Alia. tell them that I'm not going to make the meeting. <laughs> Bring me a cappuccino. Max um, gets a new camera from Griff. He's very impressed. And Griff makes this weird reference to the fact that they're being funded by somebody, some mysterious benefactors who prefer to remain anonymous because Spider's like, oh, who's this then? Who's buying Who's buying all this stuff? And he's like, no, none of your business. And he asks Max uh, to be their official social media manager. <laughs> oh, Max, you can't put that on your CV. <laughs> yeah, is he going to get a reference from Griff? Yeah. Spiders gets this meeting with the lanky undercover cop who I can't see how he manages to skate under the radar because he's enormous. Um, and he says, look, somebody's, somebody's paying, somebody's bankrolling Griff. I don't know who it is. And they're also planning something big. And he's got a kid involved. And I'm worried about the fact that he's grooming him. Can we please get somebody, get some uniform to scare Max off? And the guy's like, we can't, we literally can't risk the operation. Um, we don't, we're not going to do anything. Uh, tough. And Spider's like, right, write it down. I said, I said though, write it down so that when it all goes wrong, that you can, uh, nobody can blame me. Yeah, I, I, really oh, I like definitely that. want Toya to know. I really like that ass covering <laughs> that yeah. Spider did. He's like, look, I don't really care about Max. So this but is, I don't want to get in trouble when this goes wrong. This is the, the this week's slow, slow, slow <clears> lunge <throat> steps forward for Spider. As like, he's just, again, spends most of the week just sitting at the table, listening in. Here he is doing something, but still the storyline is moving just a little bit too slow for me, unfortunately. I think it's fine. I thought it was unusual, <coughs> maybe I don't know how these things work, that the boss was like, I don't care that some 16-year-old <coughs> is being um, <coughs> groomed into extremism. There's something big happening here, just let him do it. He can take one for the team, can't he? I said this before, though, there's a certain element of, yes, he's vulnerable, but also everybody knows what, you know he's 16 he he's not he's not legally culpable for lots of things but he still knows right from wrong we'll just deprogram him after the would, end it's would fine. every single would every single vulnerable adult in his situation do the same thing no mm. no so how much how much are you responsible for his behavior i don't know honestly it's a question i don't know the answer to but if you if you're at the moment, what can they get Griff on? What has he done that's illegal? I don't know. Nothing particularly big that's going to get him no. locked away. What is he planning? Something very big that they could... That, he's dangerous. Everybody... Know, we, all, can, we all can agree on that, can't we? Griff oh, yeah. is dangerous and he's got very um, sinister and wrong beliefs about things. We want to get Griff off the street and stop him influencing people. If it's the choice between he influences Max today and we let him and then we get get him for what he's planning or we lock him up now, save Max, Griff gets out in a year and then he recruits 20 Maxes. Yeah, no, well, that makes sense. They've, they, they've, got, to, they've got to go down the path of the mm. maximum effect for least casualties and unfortunately it does look a bit like the police are saying Max is just going to be a casualty 
along the way. Mm. Well, I just hope that this big thing happens soon because I, I like I, say, I think it's happening slowly. The longer they leave it, the more they build it up, like something big's going to happen, something's big. If whatever it is that Griff does doesn't live up to my expectations as a viewer, I'll do? just be more right more in. disappointed. I've got a feeling now that they're just going to have some kind of attack on speed dial. I don't think it's going to be that I, big. And I don't yeah. think I don't think it's going to be that big. <coughs> I, I'm starting to lose faith in this oh, big attack. Oh, me too. Being that exciting to watch. It needs to be Prove explosive. me wrong, Coronation Street. It needs to be literally explosive. Yeah. Otherwise, it just feels like a waste of time, like you say. There needs to be somebody in mortal peril. Yeah. Not like when we had the speed dial on fire last year, or was it earlier this year? I can't remember. And it was just a couple of flames in front of the camera. I want there to be <laughs> proper, big, stunty, death-defying drama going on in this. Otherwise, they've you can built it up for too long. Friday. Maria is um, taking... Abby's eating a biro. <laughs> Maria's taking Councillor Len around the market and he's like, well, you know what? You actually did a good... <laughs> She's just literally... The biro that we scored the quiz from, we had it tucked in a little nook underneath the laptop. She just jumped onto my lap, grabbed the biro in her mouth, jumped onto the floor and now she's happily chewing it away. Yeah. I'll rescue it. You carry okay. on talking. Um. So on Friday, Maria's taking the Councillor Len around the market and he's like, you know what? It actually worked out. Well done. You did a good job. <clears throat> Max go around Griff's flat and it's decorated for Christmas and I'll give a shout out here to the props department for creating an amazing wreath <coughs> out of yeah, cans. Beer wreath. What is the, do you know what the brand of the beer is that they drink on Coke? It's obviously a made up one yeah. and they've had the same kind of design of cans on this beer can in Coronation Street for a long time now but somebody in Corrie's noticed that there's like a red, white and blue theme on the can <laughs> and they've turned that into like... <laughs> An evil racist <coughs> wreath design with the, the red, white, blue rosettes. Very cool. Um, so Griff gives Max a new laptop and says nothing for the best for our new social media manager. And he's also invited him on a racist camping trip. <laughs> <laughs> and Spider's like, um, I don't think that Dave's going to let Max go on a camping trip around Christmas. <coughs> it's cold. It's too cold. So Max goes home and Lily and Jonah are in the dark watching Elf and he gets he feels really left out because he turns the light on when he comes in and they're like, Oh <coughs> you look disturbing us and then they won't let him watch it and they make fun of him and stuff and call him a Grinch and a grumpy teenager and things and he obviously is feeling a bit more isolated. Yeah. But I'm gonna stand behind him here and say that Elf's overrated as a Christmas. I really film. I really don't enjoy Elf. It's not that funny. Did we We watched it and it's not great, is it? No, but we did watch the other Will Ferrell Christmas film last Spirited. week. Spirited. Have we talked about that on the podcast? I can't it's remember hilarious. when we watched it. Well it's got a funny f- song. We must we must it's have, like we must have hour... seen that since the last recording. Spirited <clears throat> it's on about Apple half TV. An hour too long. Really good film. Great songs in there. Anyway, that's the Max story. Um, not not a whole lot to say. The only thing I, I was wondering, somebody I saw somebody say online, like this this mysterious benefactor. Is it going to turn out to be a character that we already know? No, I don't think so. Um, I don't know who it could be. I know they're racists and they're evil, and I definitely don't condone this. That's just my good disclaimer. But I've really been hankering after going camping. 
And I think I'd go just for the fun of camping under the stars. Not but in I don't, December. But I don't know the lyrics to any of the racist <laughs> songs, <laughs> so I wouldn't fit in. Well, but like I said, I've been watching that. Um, show yourself. I've been there, watching all these videos on YouTube about the the camping in the snow, and you can get the little kind of you can get your little uh little tents, and they have a special uh, heat proof piece of fabric that you put a funnel through and you can get a little wood burning stove and put it in your tiny tent and then you can have your little camping bed and your little nice thing and you can put your fire on all night long and watch the snow and you can eat a nice snack or have some traditional British roast beef over the fire. I don't fancy it, thanks. Oh, I really want to go camping so bad. Do you think at a racist camping trip they they just get a big Ku, Ku Klux Klan cloak and that's the tent? Uh, you got to be careful about making jokes about the Ku Klux Klan. I was just wondering. We're not really, um, don't really have a, a history of that in this country, so we, we don't, don't really don't know whether you can make a ten out of that. I wouldn't want to make a joke about it in case it's in, in, uh, inappropriate. <laughs> well, in that case, I'm going to move swiftly on to the final Hang on story. a minute. So, what? so they're going on a camping trip. Yes. And it's going to be before Christmas, do you think? I don't know. What's going to happen? Is this going to be the big thing? I I just I want anything to be the big thing. I mean, honestly, I don't want to do. I don't want to. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to diminish the horrible impact that they probably will eventually have. But I just feel like a racist camping trip with a bunch just of. Just going to sit around the campfire and I'm tell just, him let stories. Me finish. A racist camping trip with a bunch of mid-twenties lads and a teenage boy and beer is going to be almost exactly the same as any other camping trip with a bunch of lads and beer, except the songs are going to be more sinister lyrics. <laughs> oh, yeah, very sinister lyrics, yeah. What are they going to get up to in the woods? Mind I'm... you, I did play Red Dead Redemption 2 and you can blow up Ku Klux Klan people who have secret meetings in the woods. Oh, okay. So maybe that I think they'll just tell you the campfire stories and instead of, and there was a ghost being a twist. No. Be, and there was a Muslim. No. no. I don't know. Cut that I, out. I, I, hope that, um, I hope that there's something exciting that happens there. Right, Simon. Um, so the, the, the de-rotting is underway at the bistro on Wednesday's episode and Simon comes in there to see Nick and Leanne and says, you know that job that I've been doing? No. And everyone's like, no, you've barely been in the programme for what the past job? two years. Simon. I still don't know what job. I think it's maybe supposed to be the fish and chips. Maybe does he still work there? Well, it's weird fired. because the script like really carefully made sure that they made no reference whatsoever <coughs> to what this job actually was. Well, I mean, in real life, if I said to you... <coughs> if I said to you, oh, Michael, I was fired, I wouldn't say <laughs> from my day job I do every... Like, if you came over to me and be like, oh, no, <coughs> they fired me as a teacher, you wouldn't, would you? You'd say, I've been fired. No, but I would have thought that the script writers might like to throw a few clues in there just to remind us. I mean, yeah, they I like to do that Michael, at the beginning of most episodes. I know they do, but imagine how hilarious Remember it would be. Remember that doctor's appointment Listen, I got today about my breast lump? If you came in and you were like, I've been fired, and I went, what? From your job at school, where you work as a teacher, 
No. No, it, it was needed. Anyway, it was it needed was, because I still don't know. It doesn't matter anyway. So he, he goes around looking for jobs on Wednesday. Can't work at the bistro. Can't work at streetcars. But good o. Only takes one day to find a job in Coronation Street, as we know. And by bedtime, he's going to have himself a job working with Jacob, his old mate of drugging, drugging, drug selling Jacob at the factory on the sales team. Because if there's one thing that they need more of in it's the factory, pants. it's sales members. Yeah, to sell the pants. We got we got Michael, we got Jacob, we got... Is Kirk on sales still at the moment? I don't no, remember. No, he got changed back to... Is someone on sales? I don't know, but she's she's disappeared she's off on a break now anyway, um, so maybe he's going to jump into her position. If they ever <coughs> wanted to discuss the <coughs> economic impact of the cost of living crisis, Jacob and Simon are in such a perfect condition and situation to be laid off from their jobs because they're just not making enough money at the factory to justify all these people. Which, frankly, mm. let's face it, they don't do anything. They do don't they? do anything. Um, if these two got laid off, you can totally imagine them going, what can we do? We need money quick. Back on the drugs. Do you not think so? This is Maybe. one of the things that fuels criminal activity is economic distress. Mm. And those two have experience. I mean, if they put their CV out, Max is there with his social media for racist, and they're there with <laughs> errand boy for drug dealers. Yeah, yeah, very true, very true. Well, it all depends There's on... There's going to be a lot of demand for that, I think. Depends on where their friendship goes, because this is the, the kind of the thrust of the story on Friday. Simon's like, do I be friends with Jacob after everything he put my family through oh, in that story last year? That's my favourite song of the Coronation Street musical. What? Do I be friends with Jacob after he was mean to my mum? He sang the wheels on the bus to my mum after did. Ollie just died. That's a musical too. <laughs> anyway, so isn't it just doesn't it just show how nobody cares about Leanne? Jacob seems even Simon's like oh, I don't. Know, Jacob I seems that. to think that they can be best friends again. Leanne's like no way because she sees Leanne's him at upset. the Christmas fair later on, doesn't she? She's like, what the hell are you doing being friends with him? But they have a nice bonding moment in the middle of the episode where somebody tries to steal the underwear van. And then they chase it up, chase up the van to uh, Rosamond Street, tackle yeah, the driver out of the uh, van. The getaway driver forgets the fact that the Victoria Street has been shut off because of the Christmas fair and gets stuck in traffic. I was expecting I the way that they had it; they weren't really showing the driver's face, and I was expecting there to be a big reveal. I, I thought it was Max for ages. Yeah, it was like no, it's just it's just no. They pull him out and they go, "What's your name?" <coughs> and he literally <coughs> gives his full name, and I don't remember what it was, but no. I thought. Is this significant in some way? I'm supposed to know who it that is, is. It was just a, a bit of a bit of a <coughs> cliffhanger kind of scene, so that they can be friends and, and then go and have nice nice Christmas market food together at the end of the episode. But yeah, Leanne's not happy with it, and when she and Nick talk to Simon about it towards the end of the episode, he's like, "Yeah, okay, fine. I'll just try and keep my head down at the factory." Nick also talks to Leanne about the fact that. The bistro is hemorrhaging money at the moment, what with all this deep rotting that's taking place. And Leanne's like, yeah, You've you know what? You've made up that word. Do you know that? You no, know you have, haven't word. you? Um, that's, what, that's what Coronation Street needs. Instead of a cast cull, mm-hmm. they're going to call it a de-rotting. Mm-hmm. And they're getting rid of some of these cast members that mm-hmm. they don't need. Um, yeah, so Leanne says, look, I think we need to dip into uh, Sam's inheritance <clears throat> again. Yeah, because she thinks the money mm. that's gone towards them doing the de-rotting process, which sounds like the thing I've lost in power to me. Um, she thinks that came from 
Sam's inheritance. Yes, yeah, so Simon. I, I didn't say okay, Simon. Okay, it's written literally. down. <laughs> and oh, man, it's actually come from Harvey. Yes, it has. Who is not one of our villains of the year? No. Um, so, and then the only other thing that happens in this story is um, is that Jacob is accosted by a man who is definitely not Dean Sykes, the guy that Emma Watts shot in the Freshco siege of two thousand and one. But he looks an awful lot like a twenty years plus older version of him. And he he's comes stolen. Up and, Kevin's bomber jacket. Yeah, he, he comes and um, accosts Jacob and Jacob's like, I don't want anything to do with you. And he says, no, can we just talk? And Jacob says, no. I've got money, my passport. <laughs> so this guy is played by um Kieran Griffiths, who we knew back in the day because he was in the bill. No, hang it? on. We don't know him. We, we know... knew of him. We knew of him. Yes. He was, he was, he was famous. in the bill. Michael, there's, there's definitely a distinction that you need to make when you actually do know some people who are in Coronation he's Street. Mate. He's we don't mate. know him. He's not coming for Christmas. No. But if he wants to, he's welcome. Yeah. He was in the bill, and then he played another Coronation Street character for three episodes back in 2001. And he looks an awful lot different now, doesn't he? he I was... thought you were going to say he looks an awful lot like that one out of the bill. No. Because he also was in the bill. He was. I always remember him looking very kind of cherubic and baby-faced, baby-faced yeah, wasn't yeah. he, about 20 years ago. But he's certainly bulked up a lot since then. He's, got, he's very striking and handsome, isn't he? He's, he's a... Mm. He's got um, a, a bit of a tan and a bit of a beard. Yeah, yeah. Well, Coronation Street have wanted to leave that a bit of a mystery over the weekend, over who this guy could possibly be. Trouble is, Coronation Street, if you're going to do a load of publicity saying, oh, we're introducing the character of Blah. you know who, then um, don't leave us at a mystery because we know who it is, but we're not allowed to talk about it because we're a spoiler-free podcast. So I think we'll just leave it there and pick it up next you week when guess. it is finally what revealed. You, you can probably guess. And you're probably right. It's his um, English tutor. <laughs> um, so, Gemma. Yes? What are we scoring this week's Coronation Street? I thought, <coughs> all in all, it was a fairly decent week. It wasn't, it was, it, it's not mind-blowing. I don't know that anything's going to go down in history for me as amazing. Some storylines I really like. Again, some interesting character reactions to things. As much as I like to criticise the characters, like, you know, Daniel and, and people like that, part of the fun of Coronation Street is how badly some people react to things and how they deal with the consequences of that. So the fallout of how Daniel reacted to Daisy's cancer scare is going to be very interesting to watch. I don't know how he's going to get around how dreadfully he's treated this poor girl because even if you feel that way, you should keep it to your bloody self. Anyway... Um, I, I'm going to give it three and a half golf balls with pictures of Bernie's face on it. <laughs> that was a funny one. They, that, that golf ball had the picture of Bernie that was taken <coughs> when there was a publicity shot of her and um, Fern yeah. together when it was revealed that she was coming into the programme. That was weird. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go three and a half. It was fine. Literally, I thought Monday and Wednesday were quite good. The summer story, as I said, was more exciting than it has ever been, probably. Lovely to see some serious scenes with uh, Daisy. Um, and and the plan the play stuff was kind of silly fluff really. Bit sad to lose them so soon, but I've, I fairly enjoyed it. I'm gonna give this um three Vianetta wedding dresses out of five. Um, character of the week. Character of the week. I think I'd almost like to give it to Aaron for actually telling Billy about Summer so that she can um she can get caught out, but I don't think I will. 
me again. Sorry, um, uh, can I just say really, really sorry to everybody? We sound, this is like the plague cast, isn't it? Yeah. Like, we've just been coughing and spluttering into everyone's ears for the past two plus hours. Really, really sorry. And there's a big news section to come next as well. <laughs> but we need to do it for we're our doing, darling listeners. We're doing it for Peggy. We, 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 we are doing it for Peggy. Somebody tell her about it. Peggy from the advert. Um, <coughs> I'm giving it to Daisy because she's great. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about Daisy. Um, I like the fact that she's given she's been given a more serious storyline. <coughs> um, Any other options? I'm trying to go through the other ones in my mind, and I honestly, I think Daisy's what, the one. What about Martha for calling out Ken on stage? That was quite epic. It was quite epic, but like I said, I, I thought the script wasn't as powerful. Okay. As her speech, as the delivery of it was. I'm giving it to Daisy because I enjoyed watching her. Yeah. That's all. What more do you need? You just forget it if you want anything else. Right. I'm going to go and make a cup of tea and get a glass of water or something or other because I flimmin' well need it. And then we're going to finally talk about the precinct in the news. Okay, on to the news. And we have finally reached... It's the precinct. We're going to chat about the precinct for in a bit, aren't we, Gemma? Yeah, we're going to try. Our voices don't... I'm going to thank okay, us for right, it. Okay, but... okay, okay. What we're going to do is we're going to think about what we thought and we're going to project it into your minds. So I don't you're, think that it'll works. Be 10 minutes of silence, but if you direct your brainwaves to sync with ours, you'll know what we're saying. I, I've tried no, that. Hang on, I'm, doing, I'm trying cool. to do it. No, not, we're going to have to use our mouths and vocal cords, wow. unfortunately. So this this was How unveiled. Uninvolved. This was unveiled um, two weeks ago, wasn't it? On the 1st <laughs> of uh, December, they had this big press do at Coronation Street, which we were invited along to, but we couldn't make it, unfortunately. And um, but yeah, it was it was cool. It, was, it looked like it was a, a great old do there. And then a load of the cast turned up and everything. And um, there have been interviews being posted over the past fortnight or so on the Coronation Street blog with, uh, with the likes of you know, Anthony Cotton and uh, Shanique Sterling-Brown and everybody. It's been, it's been a mega event. Sadly, you know, maybe maybe next time we'll be able to go to one of these, Gemma. Organise them in the holidays, Coronation Street. Come on. Well, base it around us. Well, what? Uh, it's either that or the entire transport network of the UK needs to be rehauled to stop directing everybody through London. Yes. No yeah, that would be handy. Yeah, so they had, they had, they had Anthony there, they had Sally Dinover was there, Jimmy Harkishin. Elle Mulvaney, Tanisha Gorey, James Craven, Colson Smith, they had a whole, Dan Brogerbank, they had a whole range of the cast there to open it, and there's like, there's been videos put on, yeah, they've had, there's been a little video of Colson Smith doing a tour of it, they, they really wanted to make this a, a grand unveiling of this, I think, pretty decent precinct set, what, what are your initial thoughts about it? I think it looks really good, I am very pleased with what they've managed to put together here, because, you know, if you're not from the UK, you probably don't recognise this sort of look, but anybody who's lived here or, you know, who's not posh. Um, <laughs> it's like I've never seen anything like this in my life. Oh, really? Um, this is the sort of thing that everybody lived near when... Everybody lives near something like this, don't they? Mm. Especially if you live near a council estate or on a council estate. The um, the shops underneath and all the um, flats above, the, above them, like, it just feels so familiar to me because yeah. I spent a lot of my time as a kid wandering back and forth to shops like this with my pocket money in um in my hand hoping to get some penny sweets and <laughs> picking mixes and things like that yeah so it's based on 
uh, something that they want it to look like it's been there since the 60s. Yeah. And um, they've aged everything. And well, I that... guess they use similar techniques to the ones they used when they rebuilt the set. In media city. city. So yeah. They would have had a lot of practice aging up some of the things there. That this is one of the things that they're really trying to sell, aren't they? Like in all the interviews, people are saying, Oh, look, <coughs> look how great, look how old it looks. It actually really, really does. It's like it was handy that, you know, it being unveiled in December and everything's a bit kind of grim anyway and, and soggy. It's bad. Yeah. But uh, it honestly it, they they've done such a fantastic job of making this look, you know, yeah, sixty <laughs> sixty years old. I will say one thing. When they used to talk about the precinct, I imagined it being a bit bigger. Yeah, I did as well. So when I think of a precinct, I don't really think of this sort of size. This is just going down the shops to me. Um, But like a precinct, I don't know. I know a couple of people live who are listening live in Southampton. I'm thinking it was more like Bitten, where you've got a pedestrianised road down. Mm. You know, it's it's all pavement. It's the size of a normal road. And you've got shops on either side and... um. Just a, a lot more space than this, but they've obviously got a limit to how much they can do. Mm. And when they originally put talked about going down the precinct, I don't imagine they ever had any idea that they would build this set no. at some point in the future. Yeah, I mean, we we've known about this set since like April, March kind of time. I think they originally unveiled it, and there um, it's funny now to look back on the pictures of what it was supposed to look like compared to how it looks now, and you can definitely see in the old CGI mock-ups how it is mostly the same kind of shape. Because like you said, they were limited on space. There was only so much they could do. But um, it, it all looked kind of very plain and dirty and grimy. It's also... And, and dour kind of looking. The sort of um, very very set up for filming because it's on two sides, you know. That it's not a square or anything. No. It's kind of like how when you have a dinner party in Coronation Street, you have to make sure that you all sit one side of the table. <laughs> um, yeah, it looks a bit like... And the CGI um, images that they released, it's all dusk and the lights are on and it looks like a drug lord's playground. Yeah, and there, there obviously weren't any like shop fronts or anything <coughs> on, the, on the CGI mock-up as well. It's all just uh, plain fronts, isn't it? And obviously Speaking the, of playgrounds, they've added that in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, that's the one of the main differences, isn't it? If Originally, there was no kind of idea at all that there was going to be this massive play park in the middle. And I think that's a great addition. Um, I mean... I, I'm still it kind gives of characters more places to sit. Yeah, yeah. And muse about their life and how it sucks. Yeah, even um, yeah, Maxine's just gonna be feeling even lonelier. I'll I say. know. I'm just the, thinking the spirit of Maxine on a bench. There's a lot of space for plaques as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, and I'm just saying, if you, you don't have to wait for someone to die to do a plaque to him. No, do do one to us right now. For me, I, I'll say thank you. Mm. So this this thing then. So we got <laughs> we got two stories. The Maisonettes are on top. You got your staircase kind of zigzagging up back and forth going up to them along the left hand side. Mm. Balcony there, everyone's saying when's somebody gonna go over it. A balcony is for the police to run up and down like in the bill. Oh yeah, it will be oh yeah, there's gonna be chasers. Yeah, Jasmine Allen estate in the bill. People are gonna be doing Craigie, he's gonna be gonna be doing his exercises there, isn't he? Better get used to it. Yeah. You got this great play area in the middle, there's there's shops down the bottom. Now we say shop they're all facades, aren't they? So we're not going to be able to go inside any of these shops because... I mean, where, consumerism where... is a facade. It sells you the idea of happiness, but ultimately it's elusive to those who only have money to exchange. Thanks, thanks for that. Okay. No, where, where this is built, it kind of backs onto um, 
partly onto Victoria Street, doesn't it? Yeah. And partly onto what they have as the court building um, opposite where the police station is now. So there's there's no way that they could have had anything you could go inside. Although the idea <coughs> is that the charity shop that's there, the Gregory Pope Foundation, yeah. I think it's called, is the, supposed to be the charity shop that, that Evelyn and Roy and everyone were going into earlier this summer. So we've had the seeds of the precinct sown in early well, 22. But that and that's eventually I but that that was filmed in a natural shop, like wasn't it? <coughs> um, but I, I I am I believe that going forward they've they've talked about having Roy and Evelyn back in there again. So I guess they're going to have to mock up the shop as an actual set. And, tell and me what the yeah, tell me what the businesses are. Right. So what what we've got then is we we've we've got some photographs together that we're going to have a little, little look at. You have to imagine it, listeners or on the internet and find us we're talking about it so you got one you thing got i will this... say is that the panels the flats above <coughs> have got panels and they've got that very particular council industrialized teal pastel color that just feels like it just embol- the emblem of like the 90s you it, know yeah. that color that's a bit of, that's a bit of, of really brightness just, to the grime mm, really just very it, feels like the absolute perfect shade they did a great job of picking that one they've they've put they've thought thought very carefully i guess about the types of shops that they wanted to have the businesses that they were going to have i here. would have loved and to that... have listened to them talk about this because you got you want it to be realistic you want to have a range of different shops but you also want to open storyline possibilities don't well you? Yeah, it makes me wonder whether they will or not because in victoria street we've still got um the snooker hall that had that one couple of episode long story a few years ago tattoo will do nicely we've had a couple of people going in and out of them but but really a lot of the stuff that's on victoria street aside from you know speed dial funeral directors and i suppose trim up north as well haven't actually been used they're just literally there as backdrops and i am wondering which of these we will see incorporated <coughs> into storylines i mean we've got this i'll go on i just want to say this bit is a lot seedier than the rest of coronation street mm. this is a really run down very um, poor, impoverished looking series of shops, yeah. in my opinion. I don't think anyone's going to get offended by me saying this, but like Speed Dial, um, The Bistro, Roy, even um, Roy's, you know, I think they're, they're kind of a bit classier than, than this. Well, it's the architecture. The, the whole thing with the 60s is that things you know, after the war and all these things were knocked up quickly out of concrete, weren't they? All very they blocky. Whereas Coronation Street, Victoria Street is supposed to be, you know, 100, 120 odd years but old. what I'm saying to you, this is not the sort of thing you get on Emmerdale, is it? No. No, it's so going to differentiate it. It's not like it. a farm shop or, you know, oh, we, we're, we're selling... It's like a florist, like you know, like Tracy's got. Th- these are shops for people that don't have very much money. Yeah. And this, to me, makes me wonder whether we're supposed to imagine that this is part of an estate that we don't know or we haven't seen, mm. rather than being part of Coronation Street. I, I imagine this is only a short stroll I from the dog nobody, and gun. I bet, yeah, but you nobody really goes to this. From it's, Coronation Street, yeah, because uh, maybe Gemma, Gemma and Chesney do. Probably going to be do. seeing them pushing their massive uh, push chairs. <coughs> well, actually, I, I hope, I hope that makes sense. To yeah, it's it's definitely you know well, Sally I mean, wouldn't be seen dead shopping here. The first, she might end up here at some point, but I don't. I think she would avoid, and I think this would be quite rough too. This would be a bit scary mm. at night. Definitely, it'd be kids. Yeah, well, there there is a, there is a ginnel. I'm pleased to say, between two of the shops, there's another ginnel of doom and darkness. So there's going to be some shady deals going on. There. And it, it is nice. I, I I wonder how quickly we'll get tired of it, because even like Victoria Street, sometimes when they you know, fit people in the alleyway, they're like, oh, they're, they're using this set again. Oh, it it 
stopped feeling new quite quickly. Anyway, we'll get but to what... But what... I, I don't know. I do wonder how often do they need to go here? Because even, like, say, the Victoria Street set, I would say, probably appears pretty much every episode, yeah. doesn't it? Surely this can't appear in every episode. This isn't going to be a new regular thing. One thing I'm not sure about, because I wasn't there to see when it opened, and I don't... I'm not very good at situated. I don't think that they can... They can incorporate this into walking along. You're going to have to be here and you can't go anywhere else from here. It's not like Victoria Street. You can walk around, you go to Roy, you know, go to mm. go to the post office or not the post office. But, you know, you can walk from the co-op to the bistro yeah. and somebody can follow you the whole way. I don't think you can go from the precinct anywhere. No, it's not supposed it's to separate. be near Coronation Street. Well, I don't it? think it's that far away. Who, who knows? I mean, can, well, can you I imagine Ina, Minnie and Martha tootling around here 60 years ago when it was newly opened? Ina's Maybe. filling her pockets with canned <laughs> salmon. So, um, yeah, the businesses then. So we've got, um, we've got a bargainanza shop, which is um, a, a pawnbroker's, similar to the Barlow's Buys yeah. uh, that we well, had in Coronation Street recently. So maybe a, a bit, bit of competition more, back, back then. It's a bit more geared towards desperate people with trying to sell their things than... Um, Tracy's one was more like you know you can pick up a bargain area at the same time whereas I don't know how much stock they're going to hold in Bargainanza I yeah, don't know how is... many copies of Windows 94 they're going to have on this side <laughs> like oh, I'm sorry yeah so it's like sell your gold here we buy gold <coughs> instant cash this is definitely the sort of shop that we've seen Payday cropping loans. up around the country in the last 15-20 years or so so I mean we do know that Coronation Street characters quite often fall upon hard times it wouldn't surprise me to see some of them dash in and out of here um but i mean that maybe is there only so many stories that you can have in a shop like this is i don't think anyone's about... going to really go in there but i think that there is an area i can see that they, you might be able to get in there yeah i know that there's, there's facades, a little... but it does look like the actual inside is slightly dressed yeah it is it like yeah it goes in like six foot or so so it, it, they look really realistic you can't tell that there's not actually a shop in there but um, that's all very yellow on black, isn't it? Now, I don't know whether all these businesses, we should be rating the names of them as they go, because, you know, Coronation Street does like a nice punny business um, But you didn't, know, you didn't say it right. Or... I thought it was just Bargenza. When I, I was really thinking about, like, Sheldon off the Big Bang Theory with his Bazinga. Uh... But yeah, Bargenanza, this is called. I think it rolls quite nicely off the top. I like it. Not really a pun in there, but it certainly feels kind of pizzazzy, the sort of thing that would impress people and want to entice them into to part to with sell their, their uh, grandma's grandma's necklace. ring, yeah. So um, you may well be seeing some engagement rings Granny, being bought. Granny, I sold here. your ring. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to give that one, you know, maybe a, a seven out of ten. Okay. For, for names, I like the look of it as well. Very, very genuine looking. Rose, very rose cool. gold facade, very classy. Yeah, now we have also got, um, as I said, the Gregory Pope Foundation. This is the charity shop that Evelyn and Roy um, were working in. It's also where Imran's jacket ended up and Stephen bought his recent um, suit in. And, um, this what is... I love about this Gregory Pope Foundation is that it's so mysterious. You don't know anything about it. What? Who was Gregory Pope? Yeah, where, I don't know where that name come from. I'd, 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 I'd like to know. I had a quick Google. Obviously there was Pope Gregory. Person, <laughs> I don't know that that's what that's. Well, he was probably to. quite charitable. Who who is Gregory Pope, and what does this charity support? You don't know at all from looking at it, which I love. Mm. Um, I kind of want there to be a scandal where it turns out that it's secretly a front for the cult of Nirab. <laughs> We're desperate where, for the cult of Nirab to get on this program back again. And it's Gregory been twenty five years. Was actually the 
the kind of um, oh, I'm thinking of Scientology. Who's the guy uh, that's fronting it now instead of L. Ron Hubbard? No idea. Um, who? Oh, Miss Cabbage. Miss Cabbage. What's his so, face? So I imagine that Gregory Pope is the Miss Cabbage of um, the cult of Nirab. He's taken it into a new, a new um, dimension in the 21st century. Yeah, good. Yeah, that's what I think. So this you is can't a, prove it's not, I'm not right. This is kind of a light brown and and cream sort of frontage. What I isn't like it? about this also is that it looks like it used to be a sweet shop. Because it's got that quaint little blown glass doorway with oh, the yeah. little dimples on it and a nice big window with kind of little finessey kind of brackets to make it look quaint. It's all brown and white. Maybe it was muscled out by the sweet shop that they have ordered, that they have um, open just around the corner from this. And it's got a really intriguing, mysterious, nondescript logo. No, I like... love the logo. I was just going to say this. It's, oh, I, oh, yes. It's, it's like two people making a heart with their arms. Yeah. It's, and they're yeah, like I dancing. Think it, yeah. No, I, no, I love the logo. Well done, I mean. logo designer. It's, it's mysterious and nondescript in that. It, what, I mean, what does it represent to you? It just kind of looks like togetherness, happiness. It's really good because yeah. it doesn't. It symbolises everything and nothing all at once, which is what you want for a yeah. a charity that doesn't exist. So the windows of this place are all full of tat. You've got like teddy bears, teapots, plant pots. I have to say, as far as charity shops go, it is not actually looks like it sells anything good, does it? Well, you know, they don't all. I think one of the things that they've been saying about this whole precinct is that they've been really bigging up how recycled it is. You know, there's things like the steps are made of the old underworld steps, for example. And I would imagine that a lot of the set dressings here just come from the prop store. Yeah, they so just put a load of crap out. So a couple of times that we visited Coronation Street, we've been really lucky enough to be taken up to the prop store where there's it's just this huge, huge warehouse full of everything that's ever been used as a prop on Coronation Street and, you know, all things that you'd never remember seeing. So I imagine they just raided that and put various things in the window and outside the windows. That's one thing about these shops here. There's The pavement is very busy, isn't it? It's yeah. like the, the all the shopkeepers have to dress the pavement every morning because if anything gets left out overnight, it is definitely going to be going to be swiped by the local chaps. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so next to the Gregory Pope Foundation, that's where the ginnel is. Um, and I don't know where that's supposed to be leading, but yeah, definitely we're going to be seeing some, um, you know, we might see some Spider Nugent having a few um, secretive um, discussions with his boss there, or maybe Griff's going to be hanging out there. Max, I can absolutely see um, being shady down there. So um, yeah, I like that. Gregory Pope Foundation is a name, believable, but it doesn't have the pizzazz of Bargainanza, does it? No, but it's it really is evocative, again, without being specific, because it's got the word Pope in it, so it kind of makes you think of religious things. It's got the word Gregory, which is a very reassuring old world sort of a name. <laughs> and foundation, it makes it seem like you're donating to some sort of mysterious nunnery or something. <laughs> I'm giving that a 6 out of 10 okay. on, the, on the business name front. <clears throat> Next one, though, high scoring for me, Peking Order. Yep. That's a pun. And this is a great pun because it's not an obvious one, is it? But when you realise that they're trying to make a pun and making you think of pecking order, you go, oh yeah, that's really clever. So this is the uh, fish and chips and Chinese takeaway um, sort of tucked into the corner And there. we had a discussion. I remember having a discussion years ago on this podcast because I don't think it's very common down south to have combo 
fish and chips and Chinese takeaways, but up north it seems to be like quite. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I come from the Midlands, and that's definitely a thing there. Chinese and chips. We, whenever you order a Chinese takeaway, there's always chips it. on the menu, isn't it? Yeah, but there? they're not fish and chip chips. No, no. So peaking order, nice bit of um, you know, the R's fallen off of order the first R to make it look closed. a bit run down. Yeah, well, yeah. Here, here the, the shutters are down. Well, it's and... closed. It's not open because it's being used by the pound shop. Oh yeah, because there's all all bits all and bobs the, um, all, all of outside the it. Stuff from the pound shops flowed out, and it's now in front of the doorway. So, picking order, I'm afraid, has been closed for a long time. And if you want you to get Chinese food. It just looks so You're realistic, doesn't it? And it looks proper old and grimy. They've done <clears> such a brilliant job. That is exactly what a, an old, a skanky, run down takeaway looks away. like. Yep. Like the logo, a little bit of a swirly dragon in there. Um, I, I think it's cool. Yeah, I mean, not not much to say about that. Is somebody going to work there? Is somebody going to go there? I don't know. It's gonna closed. Reopen it? Yeah, but they might reopen it again. They're not going to call it Peking Odo. <laughs> it's, it, it's it's uh, yeah it's uh, it's running on live support if not we've also got um this yeah like you said the pound outlet next called pound outlet it's gonna struggle i'm afraid in this modern climate of uh inflation yeah it, it's it's very small i know but i imagine it goes behind quite far you reckon it goes down a long way in your mind, does yeah, it? Yeah, um, but I think they. I'm. I'm actually surprised that they can sell some of the items they have outside for a pound. I mean, it, it says almost, any item a pound. So <coughs> there's dog beds here for a pound. Now, I showed you a dog bed in a shop the other day, and it was like, what was it? It's like sixty quid. <laughs> yeah, that was a premium dog bed. I don't think it was. It was in a garden centre. They've got. They've got talking to garden centre. They've got some nice watering cans. They've got some brushes. They've got some uh, planting troughs there. They've got some little shovels for the snow. Um, I would go here because these things look like they cost a lot more than a pound. <laughs> and then I'd sell them in the shop next door and it'd be called two quid for everything. I, so I reckon... Out of business. I reckon that out of all the businesses there, I would say there's quite a good chance we might be able to see inside that one day or have someone working there. I just get a feeling mm. that, that that could be a place, again, for people who are, who are you know, down on their luck financially. But um, it, that's a nice kind <coughs> of a dark tealy and yellow sort of colour. Well, that's the very sort of colour that looking. you would get for that combination of... That combination of the, the that specific yellow and that specific tealy, greeny, blue... Mm. I'm giving that a six cool. out of ten for the name. Peaking order, by the way, ten, Pal- ten out of ten. Okay. Pound outlet, not. It's just direct, isn't it? Yeah. People that shop at Pound Outlet don't want to be messed around with. <laughs> they want to know what it is that they're going there for. Absolutely right. Next to Pound Outlet, we have got. Here's a pun title for you, it, or is it Sweet Enough? And this is like the <laughs> the ice cream sort of. Uh, no, I said sweet shop earlier, but you know, it is more kind of ice cream milkshake sort of place, isn't it? And this is another thing that has really sprung up in the UK in the last 20 years. Because I remember when we were students, you know, 20 odd years ago, there there weren't things like this around, were there? We, no. there were milkshake shops, this, this, well, Shakeaway is our local brand around here, just started, but there was like one of them in the whole city and nowhere else. And uh, But th- this is the sort of thing that students like to hang out in now, isn't well, it? I so was... I can imagine the young teens sitting on these chairs outside. Well, I think we had a discussion on the podcast about this because I was in, intrigued by this and I don't know how true this was, but I found somebody talking about it online and they suggested that the the reason for the big increase in popularity of these um, dessert shops 
because they're open in the evenings, which is weird for a sweet shop or a or a dessert shop to be open so late. It's for like Muslim teens or for for young adults who aren't don't drink mm. to go somewhere that isn't me. a pub. So I don't know. You you there's lots of bubble tea shops as well at the moment. Yeah, for, that is it. Yeah, we've got quite got... a lot of um, Chinese students in in town, and they they've there's loads and loads of really cool Asian dessert shops. So I imagine it's a sort of similar thing. I don't know whether um, Chinese students are shocked at how drunk we get. <laughs> um, but if you don't want to go to the pub, this is a really great alternative. Although I will say the calories probably about the same. <laughs> so this is kind of pink, peach, what does it say? yellow milkshakes, ice creams, dessert. I, you know, if if we had, if I was if I was on Coronation Street, I wouldn't be able to get away from this place. <clears throat> I, this would be my my local haunt. I, I one of the things that I'm hoping for because you know I've complained loads recently about the excess of cafe scenes I, I hope we get to see some people sitting around inside or outside sweet enough having a nice uh, nice delicious sunday um, but more I, I than like anything this. this represents um absolute disposable income to a degree that was ridiculous for coronation street because yes okay they go to the pub a lot but if you're in <laughs> lots of people like to drown their sorrows in alcohol that's a very common thing to do the the bistro and the and the the eating out places seem a bit more elaborate and a waste of money. <coughs> you have to eat three times a day, so it makes sense that they go there. But you don't have to have puddings. You don't have to have puddings. No, but think of all the money that you can be saving at Pound Outlet just so that you can have a nice sweet enough instead. Okay. Speaking of which, I, I'm sorry, not a fan of the name in this one. Okay. It's obviously supposed like to it. sound like sweet enough, but no, then like that's it. not really a... A phrase, really, is it? It is. Oh, my God. I'll tell you what, Michael. Listen. Sweet enough. Can I just say to you, if you take sugar in your tea like like I do, you'll hear that said to you about 500 times in your life. Oh, do you take any sugar? Yeah, I do. Well, I don't. I'm sweet enough. I don't care, actually. (laughs) I couldn't care less how much sugar you have. Okay, no, I hate you right. I have heard. It's boring. But but what's, what's naff? It sounds a bit like naff. It sounds like stuff, like sweetie stuff. Mm, I I get what I get what they're going for there. Not a major fan of that, but peaking order absolutely makes sense. Well, I want I want them to have like the Nuff special. I like their little their little mascot that they've made. They've had like there's this little what what sort of dogs this French bull terrier, terrier some sort of terrier. He's called Claude apparently, and he's Aww. he's just, you know three foot high. Um, plastic dog eating a well, smiling next to a big pink ice cream cone. I think this is Just great. Waiting for people to come out and be like, "You said not give dogs ice cream." He's the new Vin Diesel, the weasel. <clears throat> I think it's awesome. I think it's a really well, nice touch. And again, it looks totally naff. It looks like he should have a, like a slot in his head for you to put a coin in. Yeah. You know, <laughs> for the Gregory Pope Foundation. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Big big fan of Sweet Enough. And again, and the logo is very nice as well with you and milkshakes and and, and all that. Kind kind of stuff there um what else have we got i'm sure i skipped over one earlier oh yeah we've got um, i think this is the last one we got a bakery there rutland's bakery little bit of a shame missed opportunity to make it a compton's do you think uh no, no not necessarily um but i do like the i do like rutland does it not make you think of rutting no rutland is the is the country's smallest um county oh is it yes 
Um, whenever I we, we run competitions on on the magazine, and I have to pick the winners, and whenever I see that address, Rutland, I always go, yay. It's that Rutland's <coughs> kind of sounds very hearty and traditional and reliable kind of brand name to me, doesn't it? I think that that. But works it also nicely. sounds like a sort of bakery where you go and they don't have cream buns; they just have. Um, that weird foam that's made out of God knows what, that's shelf-stable. Yeah, I mean, skanky bakeries are, again, a bit of a thing in these precincts, that, aren't oh, they? Do you remember that thing that you used to better get where it was an, an ice cream cone with, like, fake marshmallow fluff piped into it? With, yeah. With spring... I bet they sell those. bet they do. So the, the window there has got a load of fake bread in, and uh, this is the other thing. You know, a lot of the food you get to see in the background in Coronation Street shop is, is plasticky, fakey so stuff, this isn't is it? The, this is the props department has prepared mm. some of the things that would be sold there. So you've got your little square paste, pastries there that would have some kind of um, savoury filling in it, like... A, chicken and mushroom or yeah. like a beef Cheese one. Cheese and onion. Then you've got a, a round circular pie, which will be a short crust one compared to the puff pastry ones. Got your egg custard tarts. Now, those aren't like Portuguese custard tarts. They're a lot more silky and um, less and gloopy, aren't they? Yes. I like them. you got you got your bloomer, you got your tiger bread knockoff. Yeah, Perfect. I think it's good. So oh, they're, they're all filled with knock off? Well, it looks a bit giraffe to me. Well, that's what they changed it to in Sainsbury's so that you can't say it's Sainsbury's. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's cool. They've, they've done a really good job with that. And the same with the uh, the milkshakes in Sweet Enough as well because they're sort of sitting inside so you don't get a proper look at them in the programme, I assume. But there's some very People will be delicious, outside drinking these. Very delicious looking milkshake Sunday concoctions uh, to tempt me in there. But uh, yeah, I, I think all the shops there, they're all absolutely fab. Um, I, I ran out of giving names for, for things. But um, on the whole, pretty good. Um, what else have we got? So the the um, the flats themselves. What what do you reckon? Oh no, so going going up to the flats, we've got the stairs. Like I said before, recycled um, stairs from the old Underworld set. Very environmentally friendly Coronation Street. There's a little um, little nook underneath the steps, aren't there, for for shady deals to go on as well. Um, I got the impression that Griff um, lives in the precinct, but I don't think he does. Because these flats all have doors that lead to, the exterior doors lead into the balcony area, whereas mm. Griff's door leads into a, a, a um, hallway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <coughs> I, I, but, do, I wonder how long it's going to be before a character is, <coughs> moves here. Abby doesn't lives, uh, lives here, doesn't she? Oh, yeah, I think Abby is supposed to live here, yeah, you're so right. So we know what the flats well, she, like. Well, she was, because she's back with Kevin now, but... Yeah, they're, they're just very small little... I would say this area is a lot less graffitied than it might be in real life. You can see a little bit sprayed on there, but I, I kind of imagine that this will this be covered. This bit is suspiciously clean, actually. I think that it needs a bit of aging up. Yeah, from from the picture that we've seen of it. Maybe, anyway. maybe somebody drove a van into it, and that's where the bricks are newer than they would normally be. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then we've got lots of pictures as well of the, the upstairs. Is there like six, six flats or so, I think, going along the outside? Again, with that, like you said, the, the, the light teal kind of colour. Um, I like this little sticker on the letterbox. probably says something like, don't post me our gossip vouchers yeah you got your sky dishes there <coughs> you got some neck curtains you got a little accessibility um handle on the outside of number one there well the, a lot of these kind of um maisonettes are often I, I kind of associate them with older people living they're there not, like your on, man lived there before she died didn't they're she? on the Something way like they're for people on the way up or on the way out mm, mm. so young families and old people yeah so that's pretty cool um 
Oh, it says there's flats 1 to 12, apparently. So I don't know where the rest of those are. Uh, we've got... Um, what have we got? Yeah, that's uh, that's, oh, well, there's the play area as well, isn't there? Yeah, so, we haven't um, talked about that. We haven't talked about the play area yet. So you've got your, your classic climbing <laughs> frame. You've got some swings. You've got some benches to sit on. It looks quite new, um, which is nice. Cause, um, it would make sense that the council may well have pr- replaced something older with mm. this newer kind of look. Stuff the, it, the quads will be here every day. I reckon. Yeah. I reckon so. I can, <laughs> yeah, I can. I imagine like once dusk falls, this is where the the dodgy teenagers are going to be as well. You know, maybe uh, those two that are chasing Max are going to be swinging menacingly on the swings there. I don't know. Um, it it does kind of make me think as well. Like, are they? Are we ever going to see that the red wreck in Coronation Street again? The chimney pot park filled with place or heat. You can't have park. a poignant it's... row across the, the um this in your rowing boat. I know. You can't scatter people's ashes at the well you can, but it's a bit it's a bit uh, rude. I, I, I just think with all of this, it is brilliant and everything, but in in the back of my head, I've just got a little voice saying even less opportunity for going out for location shooting and and that's a real problem that I've had with Coronation Street since, you know, COVID or even just before, to be honest, that they've not left the boundaries of the set as often as they used to and it's great that they've got all this space in media city now but i do like an outside shoot as well but yeah this uh this playground is looking very nice there's a lovely gateway um over the sort of entrance into it well it just says weatherfield precinct going into the gate <coughs> there's only one of these in the whole of weatherfield apparently usually a little playground will have a little name won't it this one doesn't and there are some nice planters outside with i guess the weatherfield council logo on i can't i don't think we've well, got good enough for maria's that. probably in charge of of this planting up the the pots mm. the the other reason that that's so that's basically it that that is the precinct um i think that they've done an awesome job um, the other reason that I would have quite liked to have gone along to this press um, opening for it, though, is they got to see all the plans for it, didn't they? But luckily, I mean, some pictures have been put online, but it's really cool looking at all the details and the floor plans and the original drawings of everything and the logo concepts and everything. It's, um, it's, it's yeah, Isn't there also smart. a section of the an outside building which is not part of the precinct but it appears on screen and so it's got weatherfield yes the the um yeah on the other side of it yeah we haven't got any pictures here on our screen actually not that you can see any of it but the the build the big gray building that's the is it called victoria lodge i think it's Um, part of the security bit isn't it yeah so that it's the the gray building that they use sometimes for part of um this the weatherfield high as well that backs onto this but they've painted it and made it look like it's something One else. Of these play, <laughs> indoor play places, I think. Yeah, it seems to look a little bit like that. Um, I also like um, the, the little cardboard mock ups that they made as well of it. It's yeah. so, so clever, so it's much really, thought goes it's lovely. into this. It's honestly lovely. It's, yeah, very, very well done. Um, and, and that's kind of it from our photos, really. But the, I mean, there's, let me just have a quick look at our stats and facts about it. Is there anything else we've not mentioned? They built it in nine months. Nine months it took them to do, which is a bit longer than they originally said because they said six months originally. The wall tiles aren't concrete. No, no, no. They're lightweight PVC. Yes. And other ways that they have promoted sustainability in the precinct, apart from recycling the stairs and props from the prop store, like I said, is that all the benches and the planters there are made from recycled plastics. Well done, Coronation Street. All of the food in the windows are props to prevent food waste. Well, that just makes sense. 
new steel work is kept to a minimum. So like I said, this is all backed onto existing structures in Victoria Street and round by the police station. So they've they've really minimised the amount of steel girder kind of structures. And you know what I really like well about done. this as well? What? Is that it's conveniently, simultaneously cheaper. It is, yeah. And um, and they've used environmentally sourced timber, so it's all, all very, very good. <coughs> it just shows why Coronation Street uh, uh, wins the environmentally friendly awards it gets. Just found a bunch of bricks and bits of wood. Shove <laughs> it in there. Um, Gemma, what does Ian McLeod have to say about this precinct, please? He says, hats off to our design and construction teams who have uh, conjured a totally convincing new precinct for our drama. They took their inspiration from Salford's many real-world late 20th century shopping areas and what they've created is a brilliant, characterful pl- space to tell a diverse range of stories. Expect to see teens hanging out at the dessert shop, families enjoying the play area, and after dark, a rogues gallery up to shady business in the Ginnels. I'm really excited by the arrival on screen of this much-discussed but never-seen corner of the Weatherfield universe. Yeah, so I think the idea is this is going to appear on screen in January. They already filmed the first scenes of it a couple of weeks ago. Um, and you know they're, they're a couple of months in advance or so, so it's not going to be too long, and um, yeah, it's going to be you know a, a, a must-watch episode, really must-watch live episode, so we can see how it's all going to look on screen. I mean, like, is you get an idea from looking at the pictures how it's going to be, but um, yeah, what are they going to use it for first? You do you do you have any worry like I do about it the potential overuse of it? No, I don't mind at all. Hmm. It just feels, it's a bit like with the Victoria Gardens, like, people are always sitting there now, and it's like, well, you didn't sit there before, so where did you sit? <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know. I know what you're saying, it just doesn't, it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you. Yeah. Um, Rosie Mullins, who's the head of design, said, in February 2021, I set about the first pencil drawings for a very exciting new exterior build, Weatherfield Precinct. We have often heard about this precinct, and although we filmed over the years at a range of shopping locations, we have never established our own Weatherfield Precinct. It's always intrigued me. What would it look like, and who would we find there? The opportunity to bring to life a colourful and grittier area of Weatherfield was so exciting. I like the word grittier to describe that. I think that they've definitely captured that, haven't they? Um, and apparently they, they literally just took photographs of hundreds and hundreds of precincts across the country and amalgamated them all together to create this super precinct of Weatherfield. Can you just imagine? I know that they didn't do this and they would never say such a thing. But you just imagine them scouting around and finding like the most horrible run-down dive of a place and taking photos and then somebody comes up and goes, oh, what are you doing? He's like, this place is awful. I'm going to take as many photos as possible. What an inspiration. <laughs> it will. It is interesting thinking about will Coronation Street <coughs> feel any closer to its roots if they use this because it is always supposed to be about the real working-class people of this Weatherfield, This is the most working-class part of Coronation Street. Yeah. I mean, back in the day... It, the the original terraced houses that was quintessential working class life wasn't it mm. you know you got and it, and it's a remnant the, the very architecture of of Coronation Street is a remnant of the sort of the factory yeah uh, setup of of the street you'd have a, the the shop at one end of the street you'd have the the pub at the other end of the street the church up uh, you know up there and then everybody who worked who lived there would work in the factory. Yeah, which is like you know, the Hardcastle's Mill it was for Coronation well, and, Street, you know, wasn't and, it? And it's, this, this kind of layout is 
a, a, a nationwide kind of setup because you know we <coughs> my best friend lives in a, a street very much like Coronation Street and this is as south as you can get really mm. so um it's a, it was a quintessentially working class um geography of, of of a road but ever since they've evolved it and they've evolved it in a more um well in a direction that gives more wealth to the to to the street every time they do it so, yeah, like know, the, all on. the businesses and the and the um maisonettes are fa- not the maisonettes, <coughs> you know, the houses opposite the terrace are fancier. Fancier. The fact yeah. that there is even a bistro there, very fancy. Not many, not many. There, there are not many places where you're in the middle of the suburbs, like Coronation Street is supposed to be. It looks where just you would a have bit a too much more affluent than it really should be. It really doesn't make sense that it, there's a bistro there no. at all. But this really feels a lot more like the sort of working class council estate sort of looking place that many of us will have lived near mm. or And had. that we're supposed to believe that the Coronation Street characters would frequent. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's great. I, I, hats off to everybody involved. Very, very good. I mean, Looking like, forward yeah. to being able to walk around it myself next time we go on a tour. I don't believe that the tours actually go into here at the moment. So if you're going on the Coronation Street, like Christmas on the Cobbles tour at the moment, I think you can have a little sneaky look around the corner, but they're not letting anyone in yet. So yeah. I don't know when that's going to start, January, February time maybe, or are they waiting for the visitor's centre to finally be open? Because in my head, I was kind of imagining that... I think it was all going to be at the same sort of time. One one thing that is interesting about this, and I wonder, when they designed it, this must have come up at some point. How can we, how can we protect this from the visitors when people come around to look at the set? Because, for example, if you go on the on the set tour, you will know you cannot go into Victoria Gardens. It's always roped off because it's a set, and you we can't you can't have people going in there because you know people would pull the you know they would mess around with the foliage and one day you'd see like a big big dandelion and then in the next scene Mm. it'd be gone because somebody pulled it up so things like that that can be messed around with have to be roped off they're not going to be letting people walk right up to the pound shop because all the stuff's going to be out or do they pack it all away and then when you look around it at the weekend is everything going to be bare and empty? Or I, I'm imagining that. I, I think that they. <clears throat> I think that they could. They, well, no, they might dress it for you, but I don't think that they're going to be expecting people not to touch it. No, I, I think imagine. if you're going to go onto the precinct, you can't just say no. look, but don't <clears throat> touch. I imagine what it, you're only going to be able to see it from the outside because when we saw the video, Colson Smith did a nice video by TV um, social media, so you could see what what it looks like and there's definitely an, an outside bit where there's like parking spaces yeah. i don't think you're going to be able to go in i think you will but i don't i just don't think they'll let you up <coughs> on the balcony because health no, and safety night they're gonna they're gonna, they're gonna no that's what i i think I, I i'm i'm sure that there was discussion and it's kind of it's sort of sad in a way that they had to comp maybe they had to compromise some of what their vision was i'm just making this up i've got no idea but the commercial considerations they would have had to have thought to themselves how can we make sure that this is still safe for visitors at some point that would have come up mm. but you know commercial enterprise is the whole point of coronation street if it wasn't making money they wouldn't <laughs> be making it well i mean the tour has been evolving and getting better and better and better over the years hasn't it well the other thing um, to consider is that you're there that? for for an hour 
So now that they've added this extra bit, what are you going to miss out on when you go on the tour? Are you going to be? At I this... don't think it's going to be like that though, because with the new visitors centre, there'll be all the indoor sets and everything as well. The whole experience is going to be longer than the hour. Well, it has we're talking to be. about something completely but, different. But that's fine. We? But when when we went on the tour last time, when we had that star tour where we saw Sally Carmen. Um, that felt like it was the right amount of time for what we saw. It didn't feel rushed, particularly. It didn't feel like it was dragging. And there's going to be a heck of a lot more to see on this tour this time next year. So I think the experience is going to get a lot better. I hope they don't put the price up of it, because I think at the moment the price that you pay is a lot more than the old Key Street set used to be. So I think they really should keep the price the same give you twice the amount of time For a there. family visiting, it's an extortionate amount of money, considering mm. that you can go to a, a theme park all day long yeah. for a similar amount of money or go to Coronation Street for an hour. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm very, very much looking forward to that, and uh, that's almost it for our precinct talk, but I do have a little clip to add in here, Gemma, because when I was talking to Al Mulvaney um, a couple of weeks ago ah. for our, um, our Ken quiz... Once we finished talking about that, we just ended up chatting away on Zoom for, for 10 minutes or so afterwards. And at one point, I said, I'll tell what's this precinct like? Because this was, you know, days after she'd... In fact, I think it was the day that it opened. So she literally just come back from it. I was like, well, what's it like? So um, she spoke to me about that for a, for a minute or two. So um, here's what Elle had to say about the precinct. Oh, yeah, it's cool. It's really good. They've done such a good job on it. Because, mm. you know, when like, you hear about it and you don't really know what to expect, Mm. They've, they've done it justice because I was a bit worried that because obviously we've mentioned it for years like yeah. ever since I've started the show we've always talked about the precinct going yeah. to pre- the precinct so I was thinking I hope it doesn't look new mm. because it, doesn't, does it, it shouldn't be it, no it doesn't it doesn't like even like the detail on the bricks me and James were looking at it so James who plays Aaron mm. we, we were looking and we were going this is like insane like they've even put like rust on the slides everything yeah. there's so much attention to detail but uh, uh, yeah it's going to be great I it's just like hope they that moved... they actually sorry no go on I was, just, I was going to say it's like when they moved you to Media City and they had to build yeah. it all to make it look like it was you know 100 years old or so yeah they, they're so good at it I, I have no clue how they do it like I'm yeah. creative in other ways not building sets so I wouldn't even know where to start but I think I really hope that they put us teams in the precinct like make sure us have know. scenes in there because you would like we do yeah. just hang around, like, and it's interesting to have a few more other ginnels to kind of go down rather than the classic, yeah, the classic street ginnel. Yeah, yeah. So you, I saw that they're going to be doing some filming there next week. So that that's not you then. Yeah. No, Harriet's in the first scene, so I don't know what it is, but that should be good. That's the first one in the precinct, and then I think it airs January thirteenth, the first episode oh, okay. in the precinct. Yeah. So. No, it's good. I'm looking forward to it because when we were there in august it was obviously still yeah. very much a work in progress so yeah and I'm, I'm sure we'll be up as i say in the in the spring or the summer we'll have a, yeah a, we a should time. definitely try and get up and see it because yeah, yeah. it's it's just it's just cool i think like even like there's a balcony that's like all proper and everything i've, I've already seen about 20 tweets saying wonder who the first person to be pushed off that balcony will be yeah so, yeah you know we, we could already predict it but um no it should be good fun well, there you go, Gemma. Perspective from somebody who has been there. Very exciting. Helps very nice on the slides to, um, yeah, to give you. us a little inside scoop there. So, yeah, summer first scene. Well, I mean, just because Harriet Bibby was the first person to film there doesn't necessarily mean she's going to be the first no, that's true, actually. scene to be screened. But, yeah, she's a... I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb here and say 
sad sitting on a swing. Exactly what I thought. It's kind of going, what's going on with me life? <laughs> vivid image of her on her swing, and then along comes Aaron with his hands in his pockets, hunched over. <laughs> oh, summer, I thought I'd find you here. Yes, it's my favourite spot. I've always loved <laughs> sitting in the precinct on a swing, thinking about my life and where it went wrong. Well, we'll see how right we are in about four weeks when the scene's there. So, oh. um, there has been other news. We need to move on. And the first thing I want to talk about next is the big soap quiz that aired last Friday, didn't oh, it? Oh, it did indeed. This was fun. And of course, uh, playing along at home, Dale. we would have won for Corey. They'd only let us on the team. They, it, they was when Jack P. Shepherd said that he wanted Michael. He wasn't talking about Michael Bailey. He was talking about me. He wanted on the team, not, oh, not Ryan. They've written it down wrong. They did. They got it down no, wrong. I mean, mean Ryan was lovely. <laughs> so they had, they had Jack I'm, P. Shepherd. I'm they still, had Ryan Russell. They had um, <clears throat> Sally Diniver. I'm still campaigning for us to have um, soap. The big soap quiz with fans versus cast because uh, well, be fun. we did our own fans versus cast big quiz this summer, Gemma, and that was bloody brilliant. Well, if they want any help producing it, then they know where to come. <laughs> our rates are reasonable, despite the fact that Emma Dale won again, and it's now a draw, isn't it? I think they said there's been four wins per soap. Um, I still had a jolly good time watching it, but it always just feels like it's so short, doesn't it? It should be two hours long. It should be two hours long because it's it's an hour. So with all the adverts you get on ITV, that puts it down to about forty five minutes or so. There's all the faff of "Hello, I'm Stephen Mulhern. Who have we got here?" There's the "Let's play a clip of what's been going on in the soaps this year," which are, you know, they're fun to watch and everything. I, I won't begrudge them that. Well, but it should be longer. When they get onto the the actual bits of the quiz, it just feels like it's over before. You know it. I de- yeah, make it make it a two hour long one. They can they pump out those big fat quiz of the years on Channel Four that are about three hours long every year, don't they? So um, they they should with this. Um, any any highlights from uh, from the quiz, Gemma? I like watching um, Shanique, who plays Dee Dee, um, running around the street. Oh yes, she was with she was with Sue Devaney, wasn't Sue she? Sue Devaney. Oh, I love both of them. Um, so it's nice to see um, a newer member of the cast, although it's a bit, it was a bit cheating, wasn't it? Because she didn't know what Maxine's bench was. Oh my gosh, that was, <coughs> that was very frustrating. <laughs> so the idea of this bit for anyone that didn't see it is there was a treasure hunt, and and one like of Coronation Street's greatest treasures would be at the end of it. Turned out to be Ken Barlow, very clever. Um, and yeah, they had clues like rhyming clues about where the next clue would be hidden, and most of them were you know, fairly easy. There was, was there one streetcars or well, I don't remember what it was. Whatever. But yeah, there was one that was um, I can't remember. The the exact wording of the clue but it was about people come here to sit and think and we, we and reminisce about a dead hairdresser or something like that and um it's like obviously obviously Maxine's bench and they yeah, could not Michael, find it could they even people that watch the show don't know about Maxine's bench anymore I know I mean it's it's 20 years old isn't it Maxine's bench but it just goes to show like we were saying earlier with the precinct chat Maxine's bench used to be where everyone always used to be, and now you know you barely, you know months can go by without anyone ever having to sit on it. But um, anyway, so they they did find their clue there, and uh, Ken Barlow ended up. Where was he? Was he? Maybe maybe he was in streetcars at the end of it. I can't remember, but uh, it was cool. But um, they didn't beat Emmerdale in that one. They were looking for some other old codger off Emmerdale. Sorry, I don't remember who it was. And even if I did Agreed. remember, I wouldn't know who it was probably Gracious. because it wasn't Marlon. 
Um, that was good. I, I enjoyed the silhouettes round. I thought that was yeah, quite clever. They got, they got some old character, old actors from the show. Yeah. And um, this is all spoilers if you haven't seen it. Sorry. It's, it's gone a week. You it's fine. Watched it by now. You should have watched it by now. Um, yeah, so they, well, they had two <clears throat> actors per soap, didn't they? Yeah. And the, the first one that came on, I've got no idea who that was. How on earth are you supposed to be able to tell who this actor is just from their profile? That's just a well, generic no. looking person. I think if you know them in real life, you'd recognise. Like, you can recognise somebody walking away from you. Just about. But anyway, the first one turned out to be Bill Ward because they, when they couldn't get them, they got him to get into a pose, didn't they? And then they had a Tracy come and smack him around the head with something and they're like, oh, it's Bill. So it was cool seeing him again because it's been, you know, 20 odd years, oh no, 15 years or so since he was killed on Coronation Street. And then the next one came up and straight away I was like, that's Paul Elaine. So even though I'd been saying, how on earth could you tell See? somebody from a silhouette? For some reasons, Paul Elaine's Ka- profile, Kylie who played Platt. Kylie Platt, has just jumped out to me. And it's like, I've got no idea how I Both got Both of them looking very good. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. Well, that, that was nice for her to um, to, to have more scenes, well, not scenes, have, have more screen time with Jack P. Shepard again after their, um, their on-screen marriage. And I think he would have definitely been in the doghouse if he hadn't... Um, Get got her considering he had she had been his on screen wife. But yeah, that that was that was a cool one. They they did the usual rounds of like here's a picture of something. Just can somebody describe it to the other team? Can they guess what item this is? But by the time that's always the last round, and by the time they got to this round, Jack had kind of given up, hadn't he? I they don't were, know. They were like four points behind or something, and he was like saying, "Oh yeah, we're not going to win, are we?" Okay. And you're right. They went. Like, should we move on? Nice to have Sally Dinover on there. Nice to have Ryan Russell. But I, I'm going to say he's not He's not a winning contributor. Get Julia Goulding back on. Get Sally Ann Matthews back on. Coronation Street, it's for all. You need to storm ahead next year. Get your big guns on. Get your big Corey Brainbox super fans on there. Georgia Taylor would be awesome on there. Get someone who knows the programme. Really, really well. I, don't, I think that it's a, big, it's a big thing because if you go on there like pledging your knowledge... Yeah. You're going to show yourself up if you don't know. <laughs> anyway, lots of fun. Enjoyed it. Uh, Gemma, this next one is right up your street. Do you want to take the lead on this? William Roach has collected his OBE and he got it from the king. The king himself. King Charles III. Um, this, is, this is William Roach's... Plays Ken. I'd forgot. I'd forgotten about this because he was awarded this last... When did they do it? New Year's, isn't it? They, they announced these. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's it. Uh, uh, yeah, but um, I I completely forgotten. But um, yeah, you, you can I can I say I was going to tell you the quote? Yes, he says, um, "What voice should I do for William Roach?" Just do his exact voice. <coughs> do a replica. Oh, William I Roach love with a cold. the royal family. I met the Queen about seven times. Charles is really, really friendly and more easygoing. Possibly in a sense, he said. Not still working, are you? I said yes. Just had two ex-girlfriends on the show. He said. Oh, that must have been work. And I said, May I wish you a long and joyful reign, sir? And he said, Thank you. That would be quite a lot of work, too. <laughs> that, that is your best William Roach impression. That's what he sounds like. Love it. We met him in real life, so I know. Oh, yes, we did. We did. We... I love this. I really love how witty they both were. I mean, you know, who knows if this was actually what they said, but uh, if that was the conversation, then... Great, both of them. I'm surprised uh, the four. king didn't say, oh, it sounds a bit like Diana and Camilla there, Ken. <laughs> I mean, Will, William Roger. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was cool. So there were pictures of him collecting his OBE. Um, I can't remember 
I always lose track of who on Coronation Street's got the OBEs and who's got the MBEs and everything. But uh, he certainly um, earned his um, little medal. And uh, yeah, he got it for obviously being the longest serving soap um, actor. So congratulations to him. Um, I can't remember whether um, June Brown had an OBE. She certainly had some kind of royal award, didn't she? Um, Speaking of which, we haven't seen the Doc Cotton funeral episode which aired this week of uh, EastEnders, but hear good things. Apparently it was very good. And um, lots of great tributes to, to old e. Emmerdale, no, sorry, eastenders E kind of things. For goodness sake. What? <laughs> right, next thing we've got to talk about is Get, Get, Get Britain, Britain Singing, Singing, which is a 90-minute show. It's going to be on ITV. Support their mental health campaign, which is Britain Get Talking. It's going to be on Christmas Eve, five minutes past eight. You can be early if you like. But you, you're gonna not you're not miss anything. The press release for this kind of went out in October. Maybe we talked about it on the podcast back then. I don't really remember. But it's coming up soon, and they're they're, they're they're drumming up the publicity for it now. So it's basically like teams from different TV shows. I think are kind of making little pop bands, and there's going to be a panel, and there's going to be a super judge, and and we're going to find out which ITV team is the best singing. So well, we've got some pretty. Who good have we got representing people. Team Daniel Corey. Rocklebank? I'm pretty sure is going to be very good at this and so is Sue he better Devaney be the lead because they both seem like I mean I know Daniel <laughs> Rappelbank's good at singing and Sue Devaney seems like an all round good performer oh no yeah she's great she was doing the ABBA stuff wasn't she back before she came back to Corrie we've also got Jodie Prenger professional singer yeah now we've heard her and we've got Michael Lavelle I don't know how good he's going to be I don't he might this is very interesting to me he could be a bit of a, a bit Susan of a Boyle yeah come out. yeah <laughs> Everybody's like, what is he doing here? And then he just belts out some opera or something. <laughs> Rob Mallard and Shanique Selling Brown are going to be on the team together. I can imagine that Rob and Shanique, I don't know, I just got a, I got a feeling that they might be quite oh, naturally. Oh, they're all sickening. They are just they? naturally all talented at everything. everything. It doesn't make you sick. Handsome, beautiful, talented. Yeah. Just anyway. Spare me. That's Christmas Eve. So, um,. <laughs> while you gathered around the telly I think there's a Coronation Street on Christmas Eve so why not just make it a Corrie-filled evening and watch that I don't know whether we're going to watch it but I'm sure we'll find out how Corrie do it doesn't matter if we're going to watch it we also got to talk about Strictly apparently and everyone's out Every, everyone's out right, the great. dream is over we talk about Will it. Miller is not the it's champion like the but Cup. he did a good job and got quite close yeah, better luck next year that's the end coming of the story coming up soon we have got Molly Gallagher on Dancing on Ice. Look out for that, everybody. We're not talking about any that's it for the news. That was a long news section. Let's do some feedback. Right, feedback feedback time. Why, why did we choose this week to talk about the pod, the precinct when neither of us can speak properly? Whose silly decision was that? It wasn't mine. I'm going to say it was probably mine. We have got some feedback. We have got like four emails to read out. And then I'm going to rest my voice for a little bit. But before we get onto those, of course, we need to find out what did the lovely people of our Facebook group think of last week's Coronation Street. Gemma, how did they find it? They gave it 2.3 and we got um, some of your favourite scores. Rebecca gave it £3 in the street card tip jar every time Steve mentions that stupid jacket. <laughs> Pat gave it 2.5 regional pastries. And Fiona was your favourite to drive by mocking. I, I picked Fiona's because she picked up on something I said on the podcast last week thanks Fiona right um, we have got an email I'm going to read this one this is from Richard who says hope you are both well um, Gemma well yeah Gemma we're both great Richard can you tell and they've had a good week there's been better I was going to say I'm sending this on Thursday so only two episodes of the week in I know something good so that far. happened to me this week Richard what I when the um, 
when our supermarket delivery person came to the door. Oh, yeah. She said to me, by the way, just check, you are over 25, aren't you? Did you got, you got carded. And I said, yes, I'm 40. And she went, good for you. <laughs> yeah, you and that's been skin. that's actually been keeping us warm in the house for <laughs> two days. Um, Richard says he's sending this on Thursday, so he's talking about the two episodes of the week so far. Now, I don't want to jump on the bandwagon, he says because it's been highlighted in the depth in depth on the Facebook group, but what an underwhelming week of Corrie so far. So uh, this is really interesting, because uh, I didn't find Monday and Wednesdays too bad, but Richard, not a fan. Like he says, I'm a, half, I'm a glass half full merchant when it comes to the show, but barring a massive upturn in Friday's episode, it'll be a three out of five week for me, which I think will be my lowest voting week ever. Richard's oh, Richard. Richard, if, you live a blessed life. I know, if three is your worst one ever, Richard. Richard adheres to the idea that even if it's bad curry, it's still curry. So. I know. We we can't give... I like to have a range of my scores. I know it's been... What does he say? Um, Summer's pregnancy storyline just goes on and on and on. You I, wait till you find out how long it takes if it's full term, Richard. I only wish the summer season did the same. Um, Martha's and Wendy's leaving to go on... Martha and Wendy leaving to go to Hull together without Ken was an interesting development, but I'm sure this won't be the end of this self-centred little boy girl chasing, as one of the ladies so aptly put it. I thoroughly enjoyed the award nominations podcast. I'm embarrassed to admit that there are two nominees in the wrong end award for Best Villain who I couldn't record until looking... What have you just done? I'm sorry. What was that? I just dropped it from there. I was trying to move my... He, he couldn't remember sorry. Lydia or Dr Thorne. We had a few people say that they couldn't remember Dr Thorne. Dr Thorne was bloody brilliant. I'm not... Don't want to influence any votes or anything. I still don't know who I'm voting for in that category, but Dr. Thor was, was great, Richard. Well, look, that's why we do the podcast, so we can remind everybody. Exactly. Because honestly, Michael does this list, but if you didn't keep track of it as we went through the we year... We probably would have forgotten. It would be difficult. Yeah. Well, Richard says um, neither Lydia nor Dr. Thorne got his vote in that one anyway. Um, hang on a minute. Can I just stop you there? Yes. Mr. Thorne. You didn't go to medical, evil medical school <laughs> no, <laughs> for seven stop. years to be called doctor. <laughs> he didn't go to evil medical school, full stop. Um, thanks, as always, for a brilliant yeah, job you do did. for us. And let's hope the show ups its game over Christmas, as I'm sure it will. Richard, you really are a glass half full kind of guy. What an optimist. That's why we love you. Thank yeah. you for writing in. <laughs> And giving me more to read and hurt my throat with. Chris wrote in and said, I was working away last month and got seriously behind in my Corey watching and podcast listening, but I'm not far off getting caught up now. At the time of writing, I've just heard you discuss how to make Griff the racist seem more three-dimensional as a character, perhaps by having him something resembling some coherent arguments for his cause. But at the same time, not wanting to give ammunition to any viewers who may already be thinking that his opinions and hateful approach to solving what he sees as the problem might be valid. I suspect this email might possibly tick the unpopular opinions box as well as the things the Corrie should never do box. But here goes. Now, I'm here for this. Me too. You? I love nice things setup. like this. Yeah, let's let's go. In my humble opinion, they shouldn't ever attempt to take on these complex issues. Partly because they tend to do so in a clumsy, ham-fisted manner, but also simply because these are often our complex matters and the current desire to have everything reduced to a good, bad, right, wrong option is oversimplistic and infantile. 
The Max Dreamers and Drama is clearly the A story right now. Having several characters, one who previously would have been unlikely to even mention such matters, explaining exactly why refugees are a thing, and delivering the clunky dialogue as if reading from a pamphlet, was toe-curlingly embarrassing, and it does a disservice to the show and the cast to whom they give the lines. There's been talk of how brave the producers have been championing such a cause, but I don't think they're saying anything that would provoke a media backlash or have Argos rushing to withdraw their sponsorship, so it seems like a pretty safe topic to me. However, I feel they could have come across, come up with a more interesting storyline to get their point across. It would have been brave to have a popular character like Stu feeling conflicted about it all. Of course, he desperately wants to support Yasmin and protect his family and the business from these absolute scumbag thugs, but he might at the same time want to question why he, a proud ex-military man with years of national service behind him, had to live on the streets for so long when there was emergency accommodation and support groups for the likes of him and Carol and briefly Sean and that whole community. As far as we could see, they all slept together under the viaduct and survived on meagre servings of watery chicken noodle from Billy's soup kitchen, so it wouldn't be unthinkable that he might retrospectively feel a tad miffed at the lack of resources available when he needed help that they've been able to find now. Would it be too controversial to have him even ask the question? Very good point. I feel, I think Corey should leave the stuff alone either because they can't do subtlety and nuance, they can't afford to be seen as mentioning anything that might cast any doubt on whatever's currently seen to be the right thing to do, or simply because they're a bit rubbish at it. (coughs) I don't know, I don't know whether it's fair to say they're simply rubbish all the time. Some issues, stories, definitely... I've got some thoughts. Should we finish the email first? I need to say, I need to say, um, first of all... I want to say I like your idea of Stu being the person that this kind of centres around because I also think there would definitely be an element of Stu thinking, well, I can't be racist, I'm going out with an Asian woman. Mm. And that really, really feels to me like something a lot of people hide behind and it drives me nuts. Well, it's like, I've got black friends. It's, It's also like... Well, I'm not a misogynist. I've got a wife. I've got a girlfriend. I've got a a mum. I've got a sister. The amount of misogynist men, and I'm only picking that because it's an example that easily comes to my mind and it's very obvious for me to see. Um, The amount of misogyny in in mainstream culture by men who are married to women and still think they're absolute scum Mm. and beneath them. And how many generations of women have lived (coughs) with men who just actually hate them? You know? It, it it really makes me think that Stu could definitely have racist tendencies and be married to a, or be, be dating an, a, a person of colour. And I also think that a lot of people aren't ready to have that conversation. It would be quite a dramatic thing for Coronation Street to tackle. So I don't think that's really something that we talk about very much. Do you, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I can't remember what the other thing was. Oh, <clears throat> the other thing I was going to say was... Um, I think this was one of the strong points of the Haley storyline, and this is really controversial to say, was that when they originally introduced the character of Haley, they didn't do it because they wanted to advance trans rights. They had absolutely no intention of bringing Haley in as a transgender character to promote the plight of transgender people, to talk about how difficult it was for her to integrate into society, to talk about her, her struggles and how difficult it was to be accepted. They actually brought her in as a comedy character to make fun of trans people because she was supposed to be a date. 
Wasn't she? I think she was supposed to be a bit of a joke date for Roy. Exactly. But I, I, I don't think it's fair to say they did it to make fun of them. But okay, I think the, the, I'm going to say that was certainly not right. the original intention. Was sorry, not if, where it sorry went. if I've offended anybody by saying that, but I'm going to say look at the track record of Coronation Street and trans people because the, even after Haley was <coughs> a character on the show that was beloved and. Um, made a lot of people think again about what their beliefs were about trans people. We still had a joke story about Steve oh, going yeah. on holiday and dating, ending mm-hmm. up in bed with a trans woman, and it was supposed to be a hilarious joke. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be surprised if what I just said actually turned out to be a case. But I will hold my hands up and say, okay, maybe you're right there. But this is this kind of feeds in. I'm just kind of saying that there there was to when, what Chris is going to say here. What? But the, the character of Haley was never intended to be such a you know beloved long term character. I think it was supposed she was supposed to be a a short term. This is what I'm saying. Yeah, I know, but I, I'm not saying. I, although yes, it was supposed to be. Oh look, he, typical Roy. He's going out with a with a trans woman. I just I'm, I wouldn't say it's true to say that they did it as a joke. But my anyway. point is that Haley was never treated with kid gloves. No. Right? Yeah. And they let people very horribly and viscerally and shockingly confront her with slurs and mistreatment. Absolutely. As she would actually have experienced in in her life, in day-to-day life, in that period of time. She would absolutely have been treated that way by the people in the show. And some of those people actually were likeable. And mm. they had... Um, interactions with people and you would have said they were a good person until you saw how they treated Hayley and actually lots of people who watching it would have been, been the same way to Hayley yeah. and this feeds in I've read this just to spoiler alert I've read this email before so this feeds into what Chris is going to say now so this is why I raised the point okay. he said um, I like to think and hope that we won't ever look back at a story like this which is essentially about compassion and empathy and wonder what on earth possessed us to think this way but history has shown us that cultural and moral norms change with the passage of time Corey's own history is strewn with, strewn with endorsements of what we now see as morally questionable behaviour and opinions. We can't possibly know what future generations will think about the attitudes that are prevalent today. So rather than Corey constantly looking for the next set of colours to nail to the mast, they should stick to doing what they do best, which is brilliant storytelling, believable characters, sharp witty dialogue and careful balance of realism and escapism. Mm. What do you think to that? No, I, okay, I, right. I'm going to I don't, I don't agree. I, do, I, I think <laughs> that it, they, they shouldn't shy away from issue storylines. I think they can often, I'd say maybe more often than not, do a pretty decent job of them, but they don't always get it just right. I think Coronation Street has fallen into the same trap that we've fallen into on this podcast and that many people are feeling. And I know that everyone laughs at this idea of cancel culture existing. It's not real. You can't be cancelled because I, I can't remember all this stupid reasoning. But there is definitely um, a, a real reason to fear social media backlash for presenting a different point of view to the mainstream opinion. Yeah. And so if Haley's storyline had been done now, I don't think they would have got as far as, far as where they did with her because she went through that baptism of fire to come the other side, to become one of Coronation Street's most well-beloved characters. Now, I'm not going to stand here and say that she would never have been popular if she hadn't been maligned like she was, but I am going to say that it was realistic. Yeah, it was. And, and they didn't, and Coronation Street wasn't concerned about what you thought about it because there wasn't Twitter and Facebook. No, they just wanted to tell the story. They just told a story about how somebody <coughs> was being treated. And now I think, 
And I, I, I'm not going to blame them for this because we do the same thing. You sit and you say something and you think, how is that going to be interpreted in a different way to what I intended? What, what uncharitable things could one, could one conclude from what I've just said to make me look really bad? It feels like everything that ever gets said gets, you know, if you say I like cats, someone will say, well, how dare you slander dogs? What's wrong with you? Why don't you like dogs? <laughs> That's just obviously a well-worn discussion point about about cancel culture but it really is stifling debate and i think if Haley hadn't had that authentic experience i think it would have been disrespectful to mm. the trans experience that she would have would have lived in the same way that it's sort of interesting to, to argue and I'm not ever going to talk to it for, on behalf of anybody but is it slightly disrespectful to the experience of people of colour in the country to have Griff talking about crayfish and sinister lyrics in a, in a song when they've actually experienced overt racism and they can tell you it's not just singing a song and talking about crayfish it's you know yeah. do you know what I'm saying I, I yeah. agree with Chris I agree with, exactly with Chris. I agree, agree with Chris's general argument, but I don't agree with the fact that they shouldn't tackle it because um, I think that they should be braver. I think Chris would agree with that. They should be braver, but I think Chris's argument is that um, you know they've got sponsorship deals and they've got a lot of commercial activities. There is also the pre-watershed aspect of it as well, isn't there? Which I think is a bit of a but don't you think that doesn't it just demonstrate how quickly opinions have changed about what constitutes a watershed moment to know that people were calling Haley slurs before the watershed, mm. you know, and even someone like <coughs> here's here's an example, even someone like Danny Baldwin calling Sean mincemeat, yeah, you wouldn't have yeah, that now. I don't think so. And that's part of Sean's experience as a gay man. Mm. Are you undermining and belittling and disrespecting somebody's lived experience to censor every bad thing that ever happened to them, but then turn around and try to portray their, portray their struggle without showing it? Yeah. It, it's also a little bit like some of the stuff where the, when the, the Baileys are talking about how oh, we've experienced racism, but... We only saw little bits of it, didn't we? And we're just supposed to believe it happened. I don't know. I, I really like Chris's um, email here. I think that's really given me a lot of things to think about. And I want other people to write in and tell me what they think. And I, I But I totally, I totally think um, there's a lot to be said here about how touchy and offence... Offen uh, not offensive. Offended people get. Mm. I just think people aren't resilient to reality. And it frustrates me, but I also totally understand that it's you can get traumatized by just watching things play out on television that you've experienced in real life that really emotionally affected you. Yeah, yeah. and that's why I don't like the cancer stuff. So I can totally understand that if somebody wrote in and said, "Look, I'm black. I don't want to watch a television show where Griff and and Max use racial slurs to talk about people." Actually, I'd rather just watch a, t a TV show and, and enjoy myself. Yeah. That's a totally valid opinion. Mm, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I've got nothing to add. You've argued it incredibly well. 
and I'm tired. Well, this is the thing about right, me, is so that I'll I go around, I feel like sometimes I've got four heads and they're all arguing with each other. <laughs> no, you did a very good job. Do you want me job. to read out Nancy? No, I'll be Nancy, it's going to be my last thing of the night. Nancy says, I know the Christmas market stuff with Maria, no, I'm all right, is part that people found boring. It did help to move the story along because it led to Alia fighting back. The headline that Maria got was a good twist too, and I did not see that coming. It was great to see Dev and Ardy's reaction to Griff. The fascinating part was seeing how deeply Max is involved too. It peaked this week when Max called Alia a racist. Alia wasted her time going to see him. Griff's getting ready to do something big after the video went viral, and Spider's going to need help. Hopefully we'll start to see Toya on the street soon too. And will Max and Lauren become a serious relationship? Stephen is going to get money from Elaine for Sarah's business when she sells the house. Adam could start to get suspicious of him, perhaps. And if the sale doesn't go through, is Stephen going to try and steal the money or kill either Gabrielle or Elaine? Why not two for one? <laughs> yeah, Christmas bonus. It's a, it's a, it's a boost. <coughs> Hope has a boost tape special. that John made, and it's wonderful that she wants to know more about her father. It would have been more fun, though, if after Tyro proposed, Fizz had made to him wait for an answer. I loved how Tim You're running finally... out of voice. I know, I'm nearly there. It's wonderful that Tim finally agreed to stop speaking about the jacket. <laughs> Steve could have let him have it, though. I love the way Ken's eyes light up when he's around Martha. She's Aww. teasing him while he's trying to have her and Wendy. I can see where Peter gets his ideas about women from. Oh, that's a good point. Christmas at Eileen's house is going to be fun with Lawrence, Todd, Sean and George. And I give this week's episodes three John Stape mixtapes. Just trying to give me a tongue twister when I can't even speak, Nancy. John Stape mixtapes out of five with Griff as her character of the week. Thank you very much, Nancy. Thank you very much, Michael. Are you going <laughs> to... I might say a few more things. I know, you won't be able to help yourself. I can't help it. Right. I'm going to go back to square one again by tomorrow. We're having a party Doing it for the listeners. We've got people coming round. It's fine, I'll have an excuse to be unsociable and sit in the corner. It's perfect. I've got mini cottage pies. (laughs) Rebecca says, Better week this week. Still liking the Max story. I'm also liking having Alia involved too. Surprised as I am. Sarah's doing a great job and I love the punch she gave Griff. Also, the editing on Max's video is still brilliant and... And uh, you almost believe Griff is telling the truth. I although would have liked to have seen Ardia on the tram being abused. Rebecca, you dark horse. <laughs> Spider needs to be shown more being evil, as we know he's on the good side. Griff still thinks he's an evil racist. The picture of Maria was, <laughs> was Grinch is brilliant. And as much... Oh, my God, that'd be so great. It's Christmas cards. Uh, um... As much as I, I sympathise with Alia, Maria doesn't have my sympathies. I'm guessing it's because Alia is getting the brunt of the abuse and Maria just seems to be poking her nose in as counsellor. <laughs> I did laugh at the white Christmas line and I can't, I can't call it Christmas markets. I, I thought that said can't call it Christmas crackers. That would what? be a funny joke. <laughs> Don't think it really works in English, does it? No. Um, first of all... <laughs> It doesn't work at all because cracker is an American slur and they don't have crackers in America. No, you guys, work in you guys should have it just for the funny jokes. <laughs> Rebecca says, first of all, the Stephen storyline, R.I.P. Arthur the Gnome. Secondly, it's Elaine trying her hardest to be killed. All the signs are leading to her being hit over the head. Also, Sarah, stop bothering Stephen for that money. Although I would have liked to have seen that pitch. She said it was like a bad apprentice pitch. I also enjoyed Shona trying to inquire about Stephen and Elaine. She's so nosy sometimes. 
I agree with Michael. Hooray. Tyrone proposing was so cute. Sorry, Gemma. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really hoping they get married on Christmas Day, although Tyrone planning a wedding <coughs> in secret isn't really a good idea. Also, I'm still wondering if Alina will turn up to spoil the wedding, so I'm guessing that the Christmas Day wedding won't go ahead. Oh, my God. I just... Okay, wait, Rebecca, don't you mean I'm wondering if Alina will pop into the wedding? Come on, Rebecca. Okay, so Get your on. pun game up, girl. When was she pregnant? When she was she pregnant leave? in summer 2021. Oh, oh, right, so she... She's had a baby she's had now. She's had a baby? Yeah. Okay, I'm just thinking, is there no room at the end storyline for Alina? No, that is not going to happen. No, I know, but she could come with a baby. Yeah. I don't think she's going to turn up, but it'd be great if she did. As long as she doesn't stay, because I've got no interest in Alina staying. But I... Not particularly. <laughs> um, okay. On to Hope, he was brilliant. The seance wasn't the best, but I did like the cupboard opening up and the John State book evidence falling out. Also, I thought the only person who would... I thought it was the only person who wound a tape thread with a biro, as I used to do it all the time. Everyone did that, Rebecca. That was the thing to do with a pen, wasn't it? Yeah. How many times did you end up doing that? How was well, I didn't really it? listen to music much when I was little, was I? Did no, I? you didn't. You only I kind of got into it in the CD era. I remember sitting there listening to the radio with my fingers poised over the record and play buttons, waiting for the song. I remember doing that when they so first... Like... I, got very, I got very vivid memories of Jerry Halliwell's first solo single coming on the radio, and I recorded that on tape the same way. That's probably the only thing I've ever recorded off the radio. Oh my gosh. I, I tell you probably two, should have stayed quiet about that You one. probably should have done. The two stupid things I recorded when I was a child, because I loved them so much. <laughs> I recorded the, the I'll Be There For You theme of Friends. <laughs> yeah. And on the tape I had it recorded on, when it got to the end, I pressed the button and I kind of like smushed it with my fingers. And so on my version, it went... And so whenever I hear the song in my head, it makes that weird taste <laughs> noise. And the other, super embarrassing, but hilariously on brand for me as a child, I recorded the theme tune to Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> Weirdo. <laughs> I thought that was a banger. It still, it still rocks. You can't tell me that's not a great tune. Look it up, everybody. It's not as good as Songs of Praise. If you don't know what the antiques... Anyway, come on, we've got to get to the end of this bloody episode. It's going to be four hours long. I don't know where I am now. We're, we're, we're right, about tape. here. Byro. Um, also, I loved Ruby asking Fizz if she was pregnant when she and Tyrone said they were engaged. Summer, please tell Esther and Mike it's, get, it's getting tiresome. You can also read that as, please tell Esther and Mike it's getting tiresome. <laughs> I'm also wondering if to pay them back, someone will need to pay them back somehow. Mike will force someone to sleep with him, although I don't know if that's too dark for Corey. Oh, there's no such thing. This is what bothers me. Just, just to do a little pause tape noise here. It's totally fine for Coronation Street, and I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if they if they did this to have Mike rape Summer to make her have a baby so that he could steal it for him and Esther. But God forbid that you have any kind of racial slurs on the show that mm. that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like misogyny. It's misogyny to have rape, rapes and um, surrogacy storylines and women being taken advantage of. But you see what I mean? It's so acceptable. Some things <coughs> really don't seem to bother people. Well, it's just like, you know, in American TV, you can have swearing as much as you like, but can't show a boob. It's still, every, people have got certain... Different lines, isn't yeah. it? But it's arbitrary, and I think we all need to understand that. Mm. 
it's like the same way that when television was in its infancy in this country, you couldn't actually show a pregnant woman because it inferred that she was she had had sex. And actually, there were very few pictures of our late Queen Elizabeth II when she was pregnant because it was considered to be scandalous to be pregnant, even as a married woman who was literally producing the future heirs to the throne of the country <laughs> to continue the constitutional monarchy that supposedly rules this That's country. Funny. Isn't it bonkers? Yeah. It's so funny. This is what goes back to what Chris was saying about how in the future, what will we have said... That doesn't sound acceptable. Mm. And even now, sometimes when we have our um, YouTube uploads of things, we've been running for 10 years now, and there are still things that we've said in the podcast that I don't, wouldn't stand behind now, and I would be ashamed that we said. Don't go back and listen to find them. But, you know, at the time, and in the future, I totally expect that stuff we say now is not going to be acceptable. Mm. I, and I, I think um, society at the moment, we're totally obsessed with this concept of being on the right side of history, but actually, all you can really do is be true to yourself in the moment and not worry about what the future holds because we can't predict it. I think that everyone who goes on about being on the right side of history is just absolutely bonkers. For all we know, aliens are going to come down and take over the planet anyway and they'll hate everything we've ever done. <laughs> they definitely won't like Coronation Street. I don't know where I am now. Um, too dark for Corey. I completely missed the old summer summer line. The old summer line. But that's funny and great to hear. Summer's robot again. There we go. I think Summer's robot gave me a computer virus. Is Summer's robot going to take over the the planet, or will it be aliens? That's a good question for the future. The Tim Steve jacket storyline wasn't really. I really hope that storyline's over now. I found it interesting that Sally isn't over the whole Aggie situation yet. I did find it hilarious that Eileen kept asking Steve for pound coins every time he mentioned the jacket. Do you know what that is, Rebecca? She's going to go down to Poundland. What's it called? Oh, yeah. Pound Outlet. Pound Outlet, yeah. That's what she wants it for. Eileen's favourite. Um, Kenzo Get Banty. Careful of those laundry baskets. Definitely. Wash George's massive pants. Kenzo fancies Martha. His faces during this week was brilliant. Although Gemma was right, she did look good this week. Thank you, Rebecca. I'm starting to wonder if Ken will end up on his own and lose both of them. I think I'm more on the side of the love triangle than the play, but I don't mind the players. I hope it keeps, as long as it keeps Mary in small doses. Character of the week is Hope. Barley came pretty close. I'll give this week £3 and the streetcar tip jar every time Steve mentions that stupid jacket out of five. There we go. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, everybody. Again... Apologies for all my disgusting coughing this episode. <clears throat> I can't promise it won't happen again because um, well, Rebecca I don't know how long it's going to last. Rebecca sent me a very helpful and lovely cheerful message on my personal um, Twitter account uh, to let me know that she had a cold and it taken her two weeks to get over it. So thanks very much for <laughs> yeah. that ray of sunshine that you sent me. <laughs> we have had lots of um, get well soon messages on our Facebook group, which is lovely. Thank <laughs> you, everybody. Um, I'm doing my best. I'm trying to get well soon because I don't want this at Christmas time. Well, listen, everybody, we've talked about a lot of really controversial things this this episode. You and have. I just stay quiet. Okay, I've blabbered on enough. and I've had a lot of ciders today, so that's probably what's loosened my tongue. But I genuinely do think that difficult conversations are the ones that are worth having the most. And we reveal a lot of personal things about ourselves on this podcast, but it's in the hopes that it makes you guys think about your own situations and wonder whether what you, your perspective and how it's coloured by your situation in life and whether we can all be just a bit kinder to each other about what situations we find ourselves in and what decisions do we make because of it. 
Don't yes. you think Coronation Street is just a big exercise in in learning about other people and and how they react to no, things? That's what I like about it. And it is all really. fictional. I know it is. And we, you know, we hide behind that excuse sometimes <coughs> when we say things like, "I really hope <coughs> Stephen murders Elaine and 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 uh, isn't Hope a psychopath, even though she's like under the age of ten or whatever she is." Um, but it is Jeez, based well. Well, it's based in life and life's for living and making mistakes and forgiving each other and having fun and it's Christmas it's nearly Christmas hooray hooray can I say a what and so thank you to our new Patreon yeah I want to say Neve thank you very much for joining our Patreon this week very very kind of you and don't forget all of our Patreon uh, money this month will go to charity TBC still waiting for the uh, final details on that Um, Mm. but we will let you know as soon as we can and if you would like to write in about anything you've heard this episode or indeed you know Stuff that happened in the show, because that's what we're talking about, I guess. I'll give them a bit of a, a shout out. Coronation Street, you might want to watch it. Um, conversationstreet at gmail.com is the email address you can find us at. And we also have a website, conversationstreet.podbean.com. You can leave Still us a Still blocked review. by Twitter. Can you believe that? Elon Musk is too focused on going to Mars and Still deleting people. can't go to our website from Twitter. It's people. For our homepage, anyway. Um, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, Facebook, YouTube, and of course Patreon. We're going to release our special bonus episode, which is our usual end of year roundup. Yes, top five scenes of the year we're going to be doing on our Patreon. The idea is to try and do that early next week, because once we get towards the end of next week, it's all kind of kicking off for the end of the year, isn't it? So it's uh, that's the plan anyway, so I'm going to do a little bit of thinking about that over the weekend. Yeah, we really, really love you guys. Our Patreons, you help support us, and... Um, all the things that we do on the show and that's it for today sorry that we both were ill please forgive us all our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and is the kingdom and the glory forever and ever amen you have had a lot of cider today <laughs> goodbye everybody <laughs> see you next time <laughs>